0: Um, I I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United United States of America America.
1: and to the republic for
0: which it 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 stands. stands. One nation, nation.
2: under god, indivisible, indivisible, with liberty liberty, and justice for all. all. Oh my god, it goes so hard.
1: Also, is the US a republic or a democracy? What's you don't republic? know the answer to that A banana republic. <laughs> I know it's a representative democracy, but it kind of will always I be, think... like, our great republic. I think it's a republic.
0: Yeah, the United States is a republic, and also, it's both, it's it's, it's a republic and a democracy. Oh, Wait, that's such a cop-out. Someone...
2: How can they be no. republican and democratic? It's like, why would they do that? Those are the two names of our opposing political parties.
0: No, here's, heritage.org <laughs> says, okay. America is a republic, not a democracy. And I feel like this is up for debate. Um, yeah, if it's not a dot I, de- <laughs> I
1: don't trust it. You
0: should ask my uncle.
2: <laughs> it's like I feel like democracy is, like, theoretical. It's, like, conceptual. It's, like, um, what is democracy? Democracy now? Democracy who? A republic is, like, <laughs> I think has, like, a strict definition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably. I don't know. I thought we were a federation. Like, I thought it was, like, a federal vibe. No,
0: that was, like, another... That was, like, the...
2: Boy, like Why a that federalist really, really that was like, like the, the OG government yeah that was like one of the OG yeah. party federalist yeah. papers yeah <laughs>
0: anyways welcome to nimpet alumni what are we talking about today you guessed it uh, we're talking about america um yes that was a weird intro i'm sorry
2: <laughs> <laughs> you goofball um,
1: um yeah so as it's summer i think there's a natural upswing in patriotism I think beginning around Memorial Day the summer activities associated with the American people are very fun you know barbecues, cookouts, going to the lake going to the nearest body of water it's just a great time to live here but like not maybe not like right right now but (laughs) this season
2: Yeah, it gets you back in touch with your culture Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: we love hot dogs and
0: barbecues and fireworks and baseball games. And,
2: you know, you guys
0: know that we love doing holiday episodes. So it's thematically related to the 4th of July. Um,
1: Yeah. And Memorial Day was just happened.
2: Oh, I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. My dad sent me a text message on Memorial Day. Let me read it to you. I feel like it's really um, poetic. Oh, Memorial Day is the most expensive holiday. It is paid for by the blood and lives of those who sacrificed for our freedom.
0: That is so true. Beautifully put, Mr. Yeah. Sherbert.
2: Yeah. Points were made. really dramatic. It was really dramatic. Anyways, so basically we're doing this episode because not only is 4th of July coming, Memorial Day just happened. We're entering hot dogs and hamburger season which is our favorite because we love hot dogs and hamburgies literally our favorite Um, foods. (laughs) and we love corn on the cob yeah barbecue (gasps) potato chips yummy popsicles yeah but also there has just been a resurgence of americana and fashion and culture and attitude it's not always red white and blue it's not always stars and stripes but people are definitely returning to um kind of a nebulous american identity whether that's wearing camo prints or um, trucker hats trucker hats bible verses everywhere yeah it has a mm.
0: definitely like a southern rural twist to it i am sure that a lot mm. of you have seen very fashionable people have started wearing real tree which is kind of like a hunting and fishing brand whereas they want some more workwear like dickies and carhartt They've now adopted this, like, hunting and fishing stuff as sort of, like, a nod to America. And then also brands like Capital, which is, like, a Japanese denim brand that is heavily inspired
2: by Americana. Okay, so some main signifiers here. Harley-Davidson. Want to explain the Harley-Davidson harlot sound? Oh, yeah. So we, I actually was very
0: sad because I forgot to mention this during Mass Bushwick, and this is sort of, like, a, a branch of Mass Bushwick, but... There is this sort of like emerging trend. Well, not emerging trend trend. I think it's been around for a few years now, but it's something that I like to call the Harley Davidson Harlot. It's like you've seen it before, kind of like the girl that wears the bikini top and a mini skirt and the Y2K glasses and um wears like a trucker hat and is has like stick of pope tattoos and like an eyebrow piercing. And this is sort of funny because it's girls that are adopting this kind of trashy Y2K aesthetic. Ironically or semi-ironically because they think that these things are kind of funny. There's a lot of like memes surrounding like Y2K stuff like The Simple Life and Paris Hilton on Instagram. But I think eventually after a certain amount of time, this is just my personal thing is like irony does kind of become sincerity. The same could probably be said about like the rural Americana aesthetic of wearing like real tree camouflage outfits when you live in like Manhattan and like have like a master's degree or something I don't know but um it at the end of the day like you can adopt these sort of ironic like funny nods to a specific kind of rural culture but at its core you become it I don't know Is that like
1: is that like a weird observation
0: they
2: wish yeah I feel like they just could never they don't know what it's like to have toothless charm
1: yeah, I think it's it's a part of the larger trend of hot girl summer activities, like overtly aligning yourself with this stereotypical image of hotness, wanting to become a real life mud flap girl, you know, like those little silhouettes of like a busty lady sitting on a truck, yeah, etc. The truck stop is really, you know, the convenience store is to dark suburbia as the truck stop is to the brand of Americana that we're talking about today.
0: This is almost like a newer offshoot of Mass Bush, combined with sort of like hypewear, right? There does seem to be two avenues for men's fashion. And the first avenue is hypewear. And the second avenue is like grailed archival high fashion. And Realtree has sort of taken over the hypewear aspect of that railed archival I think is dominated by kind of like hippie-esque aesthetics and what southwestern aesthetics yeah capital is like very huge shout out to my boyfriend who's the only reason why I know about this brand but capital is like a really popular menswear brand very expensive (laughs) but really interesting because it's entirely dedicated to creating clothing that resembles southwestern americana like patchwork quilted jackets and bandana print they have a lot of like suede fringe native american aesthetics this brand is actually i think it's, its history is really interesting because they started out as a japanese denim brand in the 1980s and japanese denim i think for hype that this is like a very sought after product now, yeah japan was first introduced to denim via like american soldiers fighting in world war ii and the American occupation of Japan sort of ushered in this massive interest in American popular culture. And there started being this like wave of counter-cultural Japanese youths that were mostly bourgeoisie that started emulating like James Dean and other free and easy, very cool American figures. And they were called Taizoku after like a book that described like the lifestyle of a bunch of disaffected Japanese bourgeoisie youth. And these people really adopted American denim is like a symbol for their like social malaise and their rejection of Japanese culture. But over time, there's like an observable decline in the quality of American jeans. And in response to this, Toyota developed a very unique Japanese denim looming machine that produces really top quality denim products to this day. And so Japanese denim is thought to be like the best quality denim that you can find on the market. People who are very into high fashion seek Japanese denim
2: a lot you know who wears a lot of denim Melzi does wear a lot of denim and Melzi I feel like he's very much associated with all of this probably not consciously but like I know Lana Del Rey posted a photo with him on her her like alt account honeymoon mm-hmm. and everyone was like oh yes she's back with an older man like uh, <laughs> the album's gonna be so good like oh god like yay that's
1: so funny that really makes me think um yeah one of the things that I respect about men's fashion people a lot is that they do care a lot about craftsmanship as men should it seems like Japanese denim and like an interest in tactical high performance stuff like Arc'teryx and the workwear thing with like carhartt double knees there's like a real consideration of how garments are engineered for some kind of purpose um what was i gonna say in that effect oh yeah like the whole military surplus thing there's so many guys that are into that which i think is really cute
2: well i went to portobello market today which is a famous vintage antiques etc market in west london and there was like a stall of like American military surplus hmm. positioned next to all of the like trendy vintage fashion stalls, Wow
1: Whoa. which was
2: interesting. that's crazy,
1: yeah, I want a milk boy so bad
2: if, you're, if anyone's listening I feel like <laughs> I love when they eat little rations and stuff, oh my like, God military m r e s it's called, yeah,
1: yeah, it just reminds me of when men fought wars,
2: yeah. <laughs> No, that's really interesting
0: because, I mean, I think the reason why this like new wave of Americana is like very much dominated by menswear, like because American history has become like a very fetishized cultural object across the world. And that's really funny, I think, in in relation to a brand like Capital, which is just like a Japanese brand that's essentially appropriating American culture. And like haphazardly repackaging it and selling it back to the consumers that they're appropriating the culture from, which is super funny and interesting.
2: I feel like Japan does that a lot with American culture. Like, what are this? What's the name for the girls that did like the super fake tan? The gyaru. Uh,
1: yeah, I was like, looking at that because yeah. there's like a certain subsection of it. I couldn't find the name of it where these girls will wear these like very country music star outfits. Yes. With yeah. like cowboy hats and boots and like very low slung denim shorts. And I think that's very cute. Um, so that, I would definitely see girls taking influence from that. Mm-hmm. But it's so funny because to me, like, the female equivalent of dressing like a cowboy is not dressing like a truck stop hooker. Cow- but it seems like those are happening at the same time. Well,
0: this is where I will... Um, <laughs> sorry, I, I'm... Uh, I'm sorry, I'm like outside smoking a cigarette. Are you outside? I'm <laughs> in the middle of the street. I know, my name. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, I'm recording something. I'm You're sorry. in a manhole. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I think this is where I wanted to get into the Marlboro Man, ironically, because I'm smoking a cigarette outside. But I think that the female version of dressing like a cowboy is almost like Lana Del Rey. I think that she's almost like a figure that's somewhat interchangeable with the Marlboro Man. <gasps> and it's actually really interesting. when i was reading about the marlboro man i saw that philip morris the, the parent company of marlboro um they felt like the buy market was post-adolescent kids who were just beginning to smoke as a way of declaring their independence from their parents so this market i think is really similar to a market which is composed of like post-adolescent girls entering like ill-advised relationship with like, bikers and older men as a way, way of declaring freedom from their parents cool. um, And I think it's really funny because there's like an element of like tragedy involved in like the stereotype of the cowboy always, like, and unintentionally so, right? For example, five different Melrobin died of smoking-related lung cancer. Um, But, you know, I think it is like something about the American cowboy and this like, it represents freedom, independent thought, like rugged individualism, that this is why Japanese youths were really interested in american culture because i think american culture obviously people associate it mostly with freedom especially now people are drawn to this very like plain style of american communication america is very known historically for kind of being anti-elitist anti-hierarchical and having this like tell it like it is attitude very crass very plain even since like the pilgrim age William Bradford, he was like a Mayflower pilgrim who wrote History of the Plymouth Plantation in 1650. Um, he opened this like very famous text with this statement that he was going to write in a plain style with singular regard unto the simple truth on all things. This was sort of a foundational thought for Protestants who were coming to America in order to like free themselves from the British monarchy and free themselves religiously and start this like new society. They really wanted to create something that was very inclusive for people of all levels of education.
2: Yeah, I guess that also kind of relates to, um, well, not really relates to, but just speaking of Protestantism, another figure in this whole kind of return to Southern Gothic, return to Southern Americana has been the alt pop star, Ethel Kane. Mm-hmm. Um she released an album called Preacher's Daughter and as Alexi said here it's like has a very heavy lyrical and visual references to her southern baptist upbringing religious guilt supernatural and horror undertones having a biker boyfriend but it's not specifically it's actually anti catholic in a way like cuz it's about being southern baptist mm-hmm. so her aesthetic
1: is really interesting to me be because It has this, like, little weird core thing to it. There are, like, all these pictures of her in these seemingly abandoned houses that have, like, one cross up on the wall. That specific kind of, like, floral pattern that appears on linens and, like, wallpapers and houses Mm -hmm. from a certain era. And... Yeah, I do like that Southern Gothic look, and maybe this is like another offshoot of how this style is expressing itself in women—is the floaty, like Victorian garments mm. that are very like lobotomized housewife. Um, mm-hmm. I think those are are making a comeback.
2: Yeah, those are interesting because I guess they feel American in the sense that they seem tied to like Little House on the Prairie. I don't feel like outside of that they feel specifically American because I don't think anyone really associates America with the Victorian age, even though, like, America obviously was part of the Victorian age because it existed. I think it's, Um, it's not
1: actually like a reference to the Victorian age per se, but it's like a lot of loungewear and lingerie in the 50s and then also like in the 80s and 70s, like, Victoriana, the style has come back in so many different periods as like a trend for women and i think we're seeing it again especially in the summer there's something about like you know summer whites and wearing like a white dress like the lana song says (laughs) you know because it can be especially kind of haunting in this like weird core way to wear stuff like that
2: ethel kane also used to live slash does live did live in a church yeah,
0: I forgot about that. she That's how she initially blew up, right? Like, in, during the yeah. pandemic on TikTok,
2: she... Everyone was like, who is this? Who lives in, like, a church and looks so strange.
0: No, it was like, didn't she make up a story that... It was some weird, like, marketing scheme where she made up a story that she was running from the police through, like, swamps of, like, Louisiana kind of looking places. Um, but I think she's really interesting because they, you know, she has this like very popular new album that I think is really good. And it's like really like a good piece of work, but she does not live in New York or Los Angeles. She lives in rural Alabama. There's this uh, interview that she did with the New York times to quote her. She said she would never be caught dead living in New York city or Los Angeles because down here I can just be a local girl. And I love that. I think that's really an interesting sentiment.
2: I think that's true, too, and I don't know why, but I really feel like I can be myself in the South, and I don't always feel that way Mm -hmm. um, in big cities.
0: Well, I think this has something to do with the same sentiment behind people fleeing en masse from New York and Los Angeles and coming to cities like Austin. I live here in Austin. and from Texas, but not from Austin. A countless amount of people have moved to Austin within the past two years from New York and L.A., and contrary to popular belief, they're not native to those cities, they're mostly transplants. The primary complaint I hear from them is that cities like New York and LA have a social scene that's extremely competitive and extremely vapid and seemingly pointless. And with the rise of work from home, of course, people feel like they can have the best of both worlds, make a big city income, but have a small town social circle that's not necessarily competitive or vapid
2: yeah because you can kind of be one Mm -hmm. of one
1: it seems like work from home like digital nomad people are the new cowboys in our society (laughs) (laughs) they have the freedom and the
2: range to do whatever they want we're definitely in another era of people who are pastors children Mm -hmm. slaying the boots down because ethel kane's dad was like a deacon hunter Schaefer's dad is a pastor and I feel like that hasn't been a thing Katie, since Katie Perry, because Katie oh, yeah. Perry's dad was a pastor hmm. and the Jonas Brothers dad was a pastor. So that really inspires something creatively. It definitely does. Oh,
1: I agree. It is like the closest thing you can be to, not like royalty, but to (laughs) have that like attached to you in a small town. It's so loaded. It gives you kind of a a different status where you have to become more aware of your individualism
2: and how it relates to your family's legacy. Mm -hmm. I feel like all these kids are going to start forcing their dads to become pastors. They're going to be like, (laughs) dad joined the church so this can be part of my personal history.
0: Yeah. Well, that's another okay. thing behind, I think, a lot of Americana, we've talked about this a lot, is this new wave of trad-catholicism. Some people say it's a LARP, some people say it's sincere. I don't really think it matters either way. It's definitely something very strange, and it doesn't seem like traditional religiosity. Well, there is an article in GQ about the trend of people wearing real tree, and it was kind of one, Alexi, you pointed out, it was like one of the first like mainstream
1: spotlights on Times Square. Should we talk about Diamond Square? I don't know. I don't really want to. I'm sure we could just link the like Vanity Fair New Right thing. No,
2: I kind of feel like it's it's just like deterritorialized at this point. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, go on about real tree.
0: There's like a quote from this article that will contextualize it. Uh, states that real origins can't help but imbue the pattern with political connotations. For more mainstream liberals, real tree might represent the rural red state America that they fear. For young, hip, and politically or culturally left-leaning individuals, wearing real Realtree might be less about the ironic appropriation of far-off rural culture than it is about triggering the liberals that they live amongst.
2: <laughs>
0: and I guess that is kind of what it started out as. It, saw, it felt a little bit like an ironic, almost edgelordy attempt to freak people out about like rural America, even though a lot of the people who were wearing it were not from rural America had have no connection to it. I think it's just they were playing on the stereotype.
1: Yeah, this is why it's kind of hard to diagnose anyone as a LARPer, because if we're all from America, Mm -hmm. I'm sure everyone has some kind of relationship with Christianity, like I'm sure your grandparents are religious and you grew up with religious imagery, and especially if you're in the South, the social implications of belonging to a church but i feel like this we should talk about praying there has been this wave of text-based fashion that i think is hard to ignore and i feel like the new iteration of touch my button buy me pizza style viral text garments has taken the form of these like vaguely religious ominous signage like the kind of stuff that you would see on like a small town Baptist church letterboard sign that says like, "Ye must be born again," or making vague threats about going to hell. I saw
2: a sign the other day. Oh, sorry, this is I feel like praying is gonna make this into a shirt. This is like my sister took a picture of this and showed it to me in our hometown. It said, "If praying was your job, would you still be employed?" Should <laughs> <laughs> well, I go get a job at praying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's
1: so funny. It's very it's very like prefab esoterica to me, like trying to signal that you have a complicated existential relationship with religion even though you're just like buying a garment. Mm-hmm. It seems fake deep to me.
0: I think that people whenever they accuse everybody of larping or not larping, it's like the wrong conversation to have about it. I think it, mm-hmm. I think the correct conversation to have is like why are people drawn to these aesthetics in the first place? And I think it's because the world has become Extremely complex, extremely restrictive. And people long for traditional Americana because Americana represents like very pragmatic wisdom. The American cowboy is almost like the emblem of this. He's leisurely trotting across the desert with like a trove of conventional wisdom like tucked under his saddle. That's why like Mm -hmm. aphorisms are very popular in America. Like American humor is, is typically seen as like very observational, right? Like cowboys can tell jokes just by telling you what something is um and I think people long for that sort of simplicity and I think that's why people are drawn to figures like Joe Rogan like Theo Vaughn Joey Diaz like these comedians that are very like no nonsense straight talking like just gonna observe like the absurdity of what they like to call clown world or whatever and like (laughs) um that sentiment is shared by a lot of people because things have gotten really complex you know like the world has become a place for like a bachelor's degree is like basically the new high school diploma you need to have a like complex knowledge of politics and society in order to like partake in polite conversation <laughs> things have gotten very complicated and i think all of this is like, a return to a longing for simplicity
2: sam you were so right it's literally just people want to have a slice of apple pie mm-hmm. and they don't want the apple pie to be a bon appetit recipe mm-hmm. they want it to be Just like, you know, a normal apple pie, slice of apple pie, no ginger or anything in it.
0: Yeah, they want grandma's apple pie. They long for like a wisdom that can't be learned at a university or learned from reading an op-ed. Like it's just learned from experience. And that's why people are drawn to figures like Alex Jones, even, you know, these sort of like roughhousing, like rugged American men who are very, um...
1: It's kind of, like, lacking nuance. Like, we're, I think we're just tired of nuance and having to over-explain ourselves yes. and make everything into, like, an academic treatise. Mm-hmm. If- it is refreshing to be in a conversation with someone who can just, they'll just add, like, one witty statement or, like, aphorism and it kind of just is very soothing. I've been trying to do that more, like, make up my own, like, little sayings, but it kind of gets busted. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, regarding the cowboy... Wait,
2: wait. I want to know, know what one of your sayings. Yeah. Do you have any, like, trademark yet?
1: I mean, no, I don't think I do. What do I keep saying that okay. I think I'm using wrong? Erm, um. I'll, I'll think of it. You always say erm. There's something I've been using as, like, a catch-all. Erm, <laughs> That's, that's yeah. definitely not my, my brightest algorithm. <laughs> <aphorism>. um, <laughs> <laughs>
2: regarding the
1: cowboy archetype, I think it's fascinating that it has this very, like, right-wing significance of, like, good old days American valorism and rugged individualism and like masculinity but also it's been so heavily adopted on the left because they're queer icons in a way (laughs) there's a super interesting article that i'll link about homosexuality called homos on the range but it's kind of the thing of like when something's so straight it becomes gay and this historian alfred c kinsey wrote about how the highest frequencies of homosexuality ever seen in America has always been in rural communities in some of the most remote sections of the country. There is a fair amount of sexual contact among older males who were like pioneers and outdoor men, found among ranchmen, cattlemen, prospectors, lumbermen. Uh, they're like physically active and they face the rigors of nature in the wild. He kind of talks about this reality of sex to them that it just like needs to be had no matter who it's with, which I think is really interesting. Mm. And especially because like the first people to go out west um, were living in societies that were absent of women. and so they kind of started interacting in these very gendered ways. like men started learning how to sew because they needed to and like they would have these kind of domestic partnerships between men and I think that's really cute. Obviously, I'm like a total fujoshi, so I love that kind of thing. But also, it's like back in the mainstream. I think people are always talking about um, Brokeback Mountain, but also Power of the Dog, which was like a big Oscar hit this past year, was about that country cowboy gay romance in a way, or like forbidden feelings. And I recently went to a line dancing class (laughs) with my coworkers, (laughs) and it was so lesbianic, and it really made me think. This was in like a five-star hotel in Manhattan, But it was like they exported the scene of like a small town honky-tonk bar. And I think queer people are experiencing this post-scarcity environment where it's no longer sexy to live in a metropolitan area with like a ton of gay people. And they want this fabricated once-in-a-lifetime rural romance kind of thing where you're like (laughs) sussing people out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think that I've seen that across the Culture in different ways, like even in dark academia, which fetishizes these queer boarding school romances. Yes, I think people really yeah. miss this sense of like longing and like furtive glances and covert you know,
1: signaling th- th- that kind of stuff. That's like the, covert uh, signaling. the backbone of the queer community of I don't know, putting a bandana in your pocket and stuff.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I just want to mention right here, right now, that and there's a bit of swinging drama happening right now. Oh, yeah Yeah. so basically there's this group of utah tiktok adults who are married and have kids and they all look very conventionally attractive um beautiful women kind of like chatty guys and they're in this like adult hype house basically but it just blew up because the main one, whose name is Taylor Frankie Paul, which is a crazy name. <laughs>
1: <I> Taylor <hate laughs> vibes so much, I'm sorry. She said that
2: her and her husband are getting a divorce because there was a conflict uh, because they're all swingers, soft swingers. But the reason I'm just bringing that up is because I've noticed a huge interest in Mormon culture, U- Utah culture, which maybe for our international listeners, a lot of Mormon p- people live in Utah. And, um, you know, there's even been things like people getting really fascinated by Utah soda shop culture, which is essentially making these crazy concoctions based off sodas, like adding milk into them, adding flavored syrups, which does have this like musty, crusty, dusty, curdled exoticism to it because it's so Mm -hmm. basic that it becomes exotic. I think.
0: Well, the obsession with them, a lot of it has to do because for people that don't know, Mormons tend to live in very closed off insular communities. Like they marry each other. They've married each other for generations. Mormons do have like a genetic makeup because like this is such a
1: closed community. Like the
0: entire state of Utah essentially is just like a Mormon compound. They're very very beautiful.
1: Uh I wouldn't like back to differ. There's a huge rate of plastic surgery in Salt Lake City, they have uh-huh. like an obsession with looking beautiful because a lot of them are like housewives. But also, I really don't think they're all that beautiful. They're just like Northern European. So like all of these trad like right wing accounts will be like valorizing it as like a race science thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. it's like the white nationalist talking point. I just don't want to like go with that narrative that they're like no, exceptionally right. beautiful because they're just like super white. I would white. say they
2: fit like the a beauty standard because they put a ton of work into fitting this white Eurocentric beauty standard. Like. The whole thing about these women is they all look the same because they all have, like, very specifically bouncy, giant, blonde hair. And they're all really thin. And they all really invest in, like, traditional femininity.
0: Do you guys remember this this girl, Taylor Frankie Paul, like, when she first flew up? It was because she was lying and saying that she was, like,
1: 55 years old. But she's, she's actually a huge liar. And yeah, She yeah. also was, like, lying it. that they were all married to the same guy. I think she's seriously yeah. a Mormon in name and location only. And I'm not... Interested in her vibes, yeah. Because she's also not modest. Like I don't know what. She's not even blonde.
0: <laughs> well, what are the what? What's that like? Soft Mormonism, like diet Mormonism, that's becoming really popular among Mormons. Oh,
2: I've not heard of that.
1: It's very delicate community, and like getting exiled is a real thing. So it's probably just their way of not completely losing touch with their community, but like bending the rules a little bit. But to me, I think I want it They would lose all their. It's like they're culturally
2: Mormon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. right they're like culturally mormon in the way that people are like culturally jewish yeah. but obviously yeah. it's different because judaism is very different from mormonism but this connects to this
1: line of thought for me it seems like people lately are drawn to christian absurdism biblically mm-hmm. accurate angels mm-hmm. appropriation of nut job takes like denying evolution and the existence of dinosaurs and the kind of like roadside scare tactics of being like are you going to hell and kind of like christian mysticism imagery So, I think what people are really searching for isn't this like tradgath thing, but just like Mormonism. Like Joseph Smith, when you look into it, was the original unhinged creative hedonist fanatic who just was like having all these visions all the time and like writing a ton. He kind of had Kanye vibes to me for that. Oh, yeah. So, I think people need to start LARPing his vibe. But honestly, Amish people outsold because I think they just have more discipline. Oh, yeah. And they like actually toil the earth and like are productive.
2: Wait, what's like the basis of Amish doctrines? I know obviously it kind of rejects like contemporary life, but like, are they Protestant? Is there a specific?
1: I think it's just more of an ethnic thing. They kind of Mm. like came from like Dutch areas and just like wanted to preserve their vibes. But yeah, I don't really know. It's not like Amish people are like that much of a religious institution, like to the Mm. Church of Latter Day Saints. You're born into it and can leave. Yeah. They do their Rumspringa, which I think is really slayful. Rumspringa?
2: <laughs> it's just if you think about it being an ethnicity, I've never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. My dad lives in Belize, where there's weirdly Mennonites, and they're like the only white people that live there, and they will come into town and they like wear overalls and a giant hat. And they're not allowed to use rubber, so they have these giant tractors that have like metal wheels
0: there's a lot of Mennonites in Latin America because there's all yeah Yeah. I seriously
1: don't know how they got there and if they were like escaping persecution or something but they speak this weird Dutch inflected English like they don't even really speak English and they can speak like a little bit of Spanish but I love interacting with them like the women wear like bonnets like it's crazy how preserved their culture is
0: that's something about rural America too which is again like another draw to it is that There's very much, like, the, like, immigrant cultures, like, that are generations old at this point, you know, when people came here to this country and settled, like, the places that that culture is, like, best preserved is in, like, rural America. Like, Texas is very famous for having a dialect of Texas German, because there's, like, this massive German community in, like, central, like, it's not too far from
2: me. I've always been so curious about that Mm -hmm. for some reason.
0: My uncle can give us a lot of historical background on that randomly but I love it. but it's really cool and like it is like I live like really close to um
1: Fredericksburg. The hill country. Yeah, yeah
0: no I live in the hill country and this is like where a lot of and there's also like a lot of Polish towns too and Czech towns. Kalachis. Kalachis. We love our kolaches There's like a very famous corner store called check Stop on I-35 mm-hmm. here in Texas. Good name. Good name. Everyone in Texas, I feel like has been there, but yeah, they sell kolaches there and they're so, so good. And we've been able to preserve these cultures because like, it's like kind of not easy to live in the American Southwest. So like not a lot of people move here unless they have like a really good reason to, or they're living in a super metropolitan area. Like we have like a very hostile landscape, like even for the modern person, Mm -hmm. like our nature is very cruel to us, you know, it's like hot
1: you know, I don't know. Yeah, this is one of the things that I wanted to talk about regarding er, the darkness of the American South slash Southwest slash West. Mm-hmm. I feel like so- saying South by Southwest should become like a linguistic phrase too. Oh, it I is. All three of those things.
2: I kind of always wanted to know like what South by Southwest meant. So would that just be like the South? No,
1: it's like a directional thing because when you're looking at a compass, it's like South by Southwest is the region that is between South and Southwest. So.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Central Texas um, is technically that, like hub or whatever. Um, yeah. But where like the South becomes the Southwest, and um, maybe this is where if my uncle does give an interview, we could introduce him here because he could probably talk a lot about this. Um, but we have a special guest who we've invited to give us a quick history lesson on the American frontier. We haven't recorded the interview yet, so we can't say it's going to be entirely relevant to the conversation, but we hope that you can glean some special insights from it. Introducing. Hello, listeners. Since we're on the subject of Southwestern history, the ladies and I thought that it might be a good idea to consult an expert on the subject. So the three of us pooled our resources together, taking out our Rolodex of important and distinguished people and came across the contact information of none other than Light, Townsend, Cummins. Light has spent 50 years studying Southwestern history, writing and editing 10 books and numerous articles on the subject. He was the Bryan Professor of Texas History at Austin College, a position he retired from in 2018, and he served as the official historian for the state of Texas from 2009 to 2012. Most importantly, Light Townsend Cummins also happens to be my dear uncle. Hi, Uncle Light, welcome to NIMPET alumni. Thank you so much for agreeing to
3: this. (laughs) Well thank you it's very much a pleasure to be here to talk about two of my favorite subjects uh, the american southwest and also fashion as part of <laughs> culture and history so i'm looking forward to chatting with you
0: i'm super happy to have you on i think that you are definitely in my personal experience an expert on both subjects <laughs> when we were researching this episode i looked to your book titled on history's trail and there is an essay in that book titled myth in Texas history, which interested me greatly. And I think it aligned with some of the topics that we're discussing in this episode. This essay is both mournful and optimistic. You lament the dying Texas mystique, a death that you attribute to commercialism urbanization and outdated attitudes about women and minorities. And in the context of our episode, we were discussing how younger generations have found it pretty easy to debunk some of the historical myths and this has sort of removed a lot of the mystique from our own history. And I wanted to ask your opinion why historical mystique is important for our society and why the new generations have neglected this form of storytelling.
3: Well, I can answer that with a, a, a first simple observation,
0: mm-hmm.
3: and that is historical mystique, a person's historical heritage, shapes their identity. And it is often the case that What people choose to wear, the way they choose to dress, what they buy when they go into a clothing store is actually an expression of their identity cloaked around their historical heritage. So, in many respects, fashion and apparel is one of the ways that people can make a conscious choice about the identity they want to address. It's not so much that people have forgotten their history as much as what people remember from generation to generation about their history changes over time. We're talking about Southwestern fashion 50, 60, 70 years ago. The Southwest, the South were rural, agrarian, agricultural places. When you talked about plain style clothing, you were talking about farm clothing, natural fabric, unadorned, durable. So people choose fashion, people choose style and what to wear as an expression of their values. And quite often those values are linked to to a person's history and the history of the groups to which they belong. Those change over time. I, I think Walmart's a fine store. Uh, I call it Walmart, (laughs) but at the same time, I think the average American may not think of Walmart's clothing departments as a place where one might go and find today fashion trends. But maybe 50, 60, 70 years from now, what you find at Walmart today will be the plain fashion of uh, our grandchildren's generation, because history changes. When I grew up in the American South and Southwest, the country cafe was in fact, where you could get chicken fried steaks and biscuits and wonderful uh, uh, home cooking, the norm for the values of what people wanted to see when they ate out. Today, it's McDonald's. I don't think that McDonald's is particularly a gastronomic uh, uh, fashion uh, uh, trendsetter today, but for generations to come after us, McDonald's may provide 60 years from now the kind of nostalgia that uh, a country cafe uh, would provide for my (laughs) generation. So it's not so much that I say we're losing our historical heritage, but that our historical heritage changes over time, Uh and one person's commonplace can be later on in the future, another person's history and nostalgia. And that's all wrapped up in fashion. Because Mm -hmm. fashion is an ideological, cultural statement that's always wrapped in history.
0: That's that's very, very well put. And that reminds me of something that you wrote in your essay. And I have this written down. You quote the author, Gene Byrd in your essay who describes Texas as a media-made mental map perpetuating the romantic anti-urban legend of indefinite freedom in a highly restrictive and complex world. And I find it very interesting that a lot of times in Southwest myth-making and Americana in general, it's underscored by a heavy amount of nostalgia and a longing for the good old days. Do you think that this nostalgia is essentially how we create the myths of our own
3: history? Absolutely. And it's done consciously. In fact, Gene Bird's observation, I'm glad that you singled that out to note, because I think it's one of the wisest things that I've read uh, in my lifetime of of trying to figure out what makes Texas, Texas, the Southwest, the Southwest, and how all of that is put together in the individual identity choices people make. And, And we have the ability to manipulate that. And that's certainly true with the plain styles of the South and Southwest, which is very much in vogue, as you know, they are all nostalgia driven and people make conscious choices to adopt them as part of their own identity. And so it is a media made map. It is consciously created and it actually comes from two sources. First of all, there has to be something authentic there there have to have been cowboys. There have to have been plain folk of the old South. They had to live in a certain way that we can look back on them and say, yes, they were plain, simple, honest, hardworking folk, and we want to be like them. But at the same time, things like fashion are a tremendous commercial force in our society. Everybody wants to make money out of fashion. Everybody wants to sell what they've got in their store. Everybody wants to be ahead of the trend. And so the plain folk fashion heritage of a region becomes commercialized. And that commercialization is a very significant factor in determining what people gravitate to to express their values. It has been greatly accelerated by the internet and by social media. People now want to see Pictures, they want to see tangible, uh, very visible, uh, graphic representations of what they believe. Uh, I would rather see a picture on the internet or a short JPEG or video clip on the internet than read 5,000 words about what the the Southwest means. And fashion is well-suited to quick and easy commercialization. So the two are wedded together. You have the true authentic value-laden heritage of a region, but you also have its commercialization as well. And they have to fit together. For example, everybody loves homespun plain clothing. Mm -hmm. I've spent a lot of time in areas like Austin where plain style is very important. I don't see anybody walking around Austin and all of the chic places in South Austin, for example, (laughs) wearing heavy brogan boots. (laughs) <laughs> Heavy Rogan boots were the common footwear of the plain farmers of the American South and Southwest, but they're just plain uncomfortable and don't. And so those never got commercialized. What got commercialized? The cowboy boots.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh,
3: I would say today, 90, 98% of the people wearing cowboy boots in the South and Southwest have never ridden a horse. Cowboy boots have become iconic. I, icons are important. Because of commercialization, certain things become icons. And once they become icons as part of the myth and mystique, they take on a life of their own and they don't ever go away. Cowboy boots are a wonderful example of that. The blue bonnet is an example of that. Uh, uh, The cowboy hat is an example of that. Of course, the greatest one, of course, are blue jeans. Blue jeans, the the great iconic fashion statement of America. Uh, uh, And in fact, uh, George Washington, interestingly enough, not many people know this. George Washington was inaugurated president of the United States in a denim suit. Blue jeans. You're kidding. But it was not styled in the Levi Strauss Western with brass button fixings uh, that we know blue jeans today. The suit was actually an 18th century style colonial ruffled knee breech suit, but it was made out of the same blue denim that today we make blue jeans and blue jeans jackets out of. And so it's a very American iconic fashion. But, but I think that iconography is significant. And there are two places in our society that you see iconography more than any other. One is in architecture architecture is just walk around the University of Texas campus and ask, what did people think about Texas in the 1930s? And you look at the carvings, the architecture, the Spanish colonial heritage. If you want to know what people think about our heritage as Texas today, walk around Austin, Texas, or Atlanta, Georgia, or Emory University, or my own alma mater in new orleans tulane university and see what the students are wearing and you will see that they are wearing iconographic fashions that flowed from their region but which have been commercialized and made modern as as modern day icons of what we believe based in 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 what we choose to wear wow
0: that's 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 a really excellent point and I, i love the uh the fun fact about George Washington because we, we talk quite a bit about blue jeans in this episode and and that's a really wonderful addition that's a that's a nice gift for our fans. Well um, I think
3: the term, the term blue jean has become heavily totally identified with the style of cut made and developed in the 1840s by Levi Strauss in California it's that, that's really the most iconic uh, uh, thing I, I can remember many years ago when my wife and I lived in Spain as graduate students, uh, she bought and brought with her to Spain a blue jean coat. It was actually a ankle-length woman's coat made out of blue denim, cut in the same style as what might be called an ankle-length blue jean jacket. Uh, I was very It struck me, very, very, very beautiful piece of clothing. People used to stop her on the street and offer to buy it from her. Oh, wow. So rare. And it was such to them, the Spaniards who'd never seen anything like that, an icon of of Americanism and fashion as as we know it to be in the United States.
0: Well, that's very interesting related to some of the, the brands that we discuss in this episode. There's one particular Japanese brand that's kind of spearheading the return to Americana in the fashion world. So it's, it's interesting to contextualize the way that our icons project themselves to the rest of the world. And I, I think that sort of relates to another question I did wanna ask you, and we've discussed the plain style. And I think that in the American Southwest, the plain style attitude of simple truths, they kind of manifest within the attitude and the ideology that the icon of the cowboy represents. And I wanted to ask you what the historical circumstances surrounding the cowboy and his attitude were. So,
3: Well, I I can answer that. And I'm afraid I'll have to do a little historical debunking. In Texas, prior to the Civil War, uh, I would say 75 to 80% of the cowboys actually working out on the range with the cattle were either African-Americans or Spanish-speaking vaqueros. As a matter of fact, literally everything we know today about cowboy lore, the chaps, the boots, the spurs, the lariat, the saddle with the horn, that's actually from uh, uh, Latin American cattle-raising traditions that came uh, north with the vaqueros. Uh, those were adopted in the 1820s, 30s, and 40s in Texas by African Americans. And uh, after the Civil War, though, however, things began to change. And with the great cattle drives and with the tremendous uh, expansion of the ranching culture, more and more Anglo-Texans became cowboys to an extent, but they they simply appropriated, the trappings of the cowboy culture and style—the big floppy hats, uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the 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 uh, the blue jeans, the 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 uh, fat flannel, a lot of flannel because it was it it breathed in the summer, it was uh, uh, warm in the winter. Uh, and, but but this is a good example of commercialization starting in the years after the Civil War, initially in the era of dime novels. You begin to get a lot of people writing glorified romantic stories of Anglo cowboys. Uh, you had people like Charles Seringo and Teddy Blue wrote novels. Then you had the novels of Zane Grey. Then you had, of course, a lot of the cowboy lore that made a lot of money for publishers and magazine uh, 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 writers, uh, along with with novels uh, about the cowboy, uh, starting in the early. Uh, 20th century with rudimentary sound recording, you begin to get cowboy songs. In fact, there was a University of Texas professor named John A. Lomax, who in the years before War 01 traveled across Texas uh, uh, with uh, a recording device recording sow- cowboy songs. Most of the people that sang them to him were African-Americans, but he put them all down without reference to race. Then along came the movie cowboys. And so more so than any other icon in our uh, a bag of cultural symbols, the cowboy is, in fact, a commercially manipulated image that, that does go back to values which were there, but not in a particularly accurate way. And the high point of that in Texas came during the 1930s with the Texas Centennial Celebration, which celebrated 100 years of independence from Mexico. There were celebrations all over the state, the huge state fair in Texas. Movies were made. Gene Autry uh, came to fame in 1936 with a movie made at the State Fair of Texas called the, the, uh, The Big Show. The historian Walter Prescott Webb who uh, uh, office in Garrison Hall, UT, had a movie made, The Texas Rangers, and the cowboy culture became a huge and tremendously commercial success. Whoever touched it, whether they were Hollywood movie makers, musicians, authors, writers, fashion designers, and of course, that greatly accelerated during World War II when people were looking for American heroes. Every single World War II movie, soldiers out fighting in the battlefields, they always had a character named Tex, and he was <laughs> always a cowboy, and he always manifested those values. So, yes, we had a cowboy culture, but what we see today is the trappings of the cowboy is maybe more so than anything else, a commercial and, and and artificially manufactured historical image that sells very very well and and uh, and, and and that's not by accident people did that consciously uh, in an effort to, in fact, there was a, the famous uh, movie maker of that era, King Vidor, and he was from Texas, but he became a great Hollywood director who did a, a bunch of cowboy movies along with John Ford. He said that if we hadn't invented the cowboy, we would have had to do it anyway. So we might as well go full <laughs> feet ahead with it. And, and, and so much of our plain style fashion today speaks to that image. I've spent a lot of time on modern Texas ranches and I don't think there's a Texas ranch around today where the people working the cow- cattle actually look like those cowboys. They all drive <laughs> around today in stuff from the Walmart. They're driving around in, in pickup trucks, in some cases helicopters, and uh, you know, that none of them look like a Frederick Remington painting. And by the way, Frederick Remington and Charles Russell, those two great artists of the early 20th century, they helped romanticize the cowboy as well so uh, my my long answer to your short question is you can't find a more romanticized image consciously crafted to wed historical heritage with modern value statements as we see in part in fashion than the American cowboy it's a uniquely American creation that spills over into fashion wherever you look
0: no, I, I agree. You know, I, I think it, it's, it's a really fascinating image. And I personally love the idea of a cowboy. But when I'm thinking back logically, and I think of the conditions of the South in the 19th century, you know, I don't think that the conditions are necessarily conducive to chivalrous and upstanding, morally upstanding behavior. I think that it was a very difficult time to live in. And I, I'm sure that, you know, the representations that we have of cowboys today as these representations of our uh, unspoken moral values are not necessarily aligned in the reality of the situation. but
3: um, And especially for women, as the pioneers said, Frontier Texas was very hard on horses and women.
0: It's true. It's true. On the subject of cowboys, I found it really interesting the way that the rural southwestern imagery is manifesting itself in fashion is sort of in two different camps currently. So one camp that's on more of the higher end fashion side of it, uh, it, it mirrors a stage that you describe Willie Nelson's career as existing in, in your essay. So early Willie Nelson's career was very focused on the imagery of the rural cowboy. And on another hand, in the fashion world, cities such as New York, the trendy areas, the youth there, they tend to adopt an image of a working class, manual laboring, urban cowboy by wearing clothing such as Dickies or t-shirts from Realtree. These are becoming very big trends right now, which are just workwear. And this mirrors the uh, later stage of Willie Nelson's career. And I wanted you, if, to ask you if you could expand upon the circumstances that led to the transition in Willie's career from rural cowboy to urban cowboy.
3: Well, I can, I can sum that up very quickly in one sentence. <laughs> Willie Nelson has never changed. The people he sings to have changed tremendously. I had the honor of, I guess it was 1976 maybe, of attending the 4th of July picnic at Luchenbach, Texas, at which Willie Nelson performed. And it was just as you said, honest, Plain folk people, lots of young people. Willie was in his element. He was singing songs we all knew. He was essentially the Willie Nelson of rural Texas, singing the songs that people hummed as they rode around in the back beds of their old pickup trucks from farm to farm. He was authentically himself. He still sings those kinds of songs, but he has been redone. The last time I saw Willie Nelson was several years ago, singing in the ballroom of a hotel in Houston as part of the opening of the Houston Livestock Show. Everybody there was dressed in blue jeans and Western attire. Many of the women had on fashion dresses with hand-tool cowboy boots. Everybody in that room was a wealthy banker, CPA, physician, an individual of tremendous economic means, politicians, senators, those kinds of people. That's who Willie was singing to. And he, he, to make that transition had to become a caricature of himself. Uh, I doubt that he feels he's a character a char- caricature of himself, and he probably isn't, but he has completely redone his outlaw. He's the, the outlaw image everybody loves that, that likes the color of an outlaw, but doesn't want to be one. <laughs> in fact, uh, that's, that's what he's done. And, and that change can be seen in fashion itself. Uh, mm. There are probably more expensive boots in the closets of River Oaks, Highland Park, and Alamo Heights than there are on any, in the closets of any West Texas ranch town. Uh, and, and that is essentially what has happened. And Willie's career has shown that. He, he's, he the, the common folks, I suppose, still like him, but uh, you can't pay if you wanna have a dance hall in High Hill, Texas. You're not going to get Willie Nelson for the $1,000 you have. You've got to go to the Hyatt Regency in Houston, where the fee is $500,000 to get him. And he'll sing the same songs both places, but he only goes to those latter kinds of places now.
0: I find that really interesting because it does seem right now, currently with the fashion trends that we're seeing, it is almost ironic because the more working class workwear trend that we see in fashion is manifesting itself primarily in cities where people who are extremely wealthy tend to live in in, in Manhattan right and uh, it's i think it's interesting to walk down the streets of Manhattan and see people wearing clothing that construction workers are meant to wear and camo t-shirts and you know Hamo ball caps and growing out their
3: beards as though they they're they're making value statements now it's Mm -hmm. possible to to do that uh, and not spend a tremendous amount of money but it involves uh, shopping uh, 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 like you who live in Austin I've spent a lot of time in Austin over the decades and Austin people that live in Austin do this very well on a budget now Mm it's not possible on rodeo drive and Beverly Hills is not possible on Fifth Avenue. There you have to pay. You can go into Wallach's Fifth Avenue and, and spend $1,000 on a pair of blue jeans. And when you wear them down Fifth Avenue, they don't look much different than something that came from a used uh, blue jeans store on South Congress in, in Austin. But, <laughs> mm-hmm. but, but essentially, uh, uh, one can date the full-scale ideological impact of a fashion trend by who's wearing it mm-hmm. and if it makes what i might call the hot couture crowd then it has fully arrived and uh, and you can <laughs> still find it in the wild but most of it is is in the various uh, fashion zoos of the rich wise and good. <laughs> they cultivate their images by adopting these kinds of clothes
0: that is that. That is very, very true. And, and, you know, I think you might be interested in this term. Uh, me and my other co-hosts came across while researching another episode. Uh, it was called cultural cringe. And this is a term that's mostly used in criticism of architecture in Australia, actually. But that's the term...
3: A, I, I'm familiar with that. I follow uh, architectural history to an extent. Yes.
0: Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. So that... We we uh, we were really pleased with this term because we felt it described a lot of trends that are happening today, where people are almost rejecting the their cultures that they grew up in and exist in, and are appropriating other cultures that maybe they live very close in vicinity to. So that this is something that seems to be manifesting in re- metropolitan cities such as New York and Los Angeles, so people rejecting their elitist surroundings and trying to adopt something a little bit more rustic and salt of the earth.
3: It's my observation that wherever you see cultural cringe, you're seeing values in transition. And, and what's happening, not so much the what is being sought after in terms of architecture or fashion is changing the values underpinning how people want to express themselves or in transition. And you, you get the word cringe because there is a transition point where the, what came before is being rejected, but it really hasn't actually morphed into something else yet. Mm-hmm. And so although the term cultural cringe is a relatively new and not widely held term, it's, it's described something you see a lot in the evolution of culture, especially in, in material culture. And essentially fashion is material culture. And, mm-hmm. and material culture is one of the most important ways that people express their values.
0: That's very interesting. And, and one, one value I think that people are expressing a little bit with this uh, the this style of dress is a rejection of overly intellectualizing society. And I think it's interesting that the South has always been stereotyped as anti-intellectual. And, you know, as someone who lives here, I would of course say that's not the case, but I wanted to ask you if you knew maybe what the origins of that attitude or that stereotype about Southerners uh, was.
3: Well, I think that, that actually goes to the point of regionalism. And that is that certainly after the Civil War and the defeat of the Confederacy, an industrialized urban union, which won the war Factory-based, large numbers of immigrants, a tr- tremendous reliance on educational institutions, increasingly came from the 1860s down through the 1920s and 30s to see the South and Southwest as a very, very unsophisticated area. And and when you look at at the uh, sub literature, for example, I mean, look at John Steinbeck's *The Grapes of Wrath*, uh, written in the 1930s. I I don't think you could find a book or a motion picture based on the book that, that uh, talked about a more unsophisticated group of people than southerners uh, and, and southwesterners too and, and so that's where the attitude came from as, as late as uh, uh, when Franklin D. Roosevelt was president he once gave a speech in which he said the number one problem of the nation is the American south and what he meant by that it was just not with the program and the mm-hmm. and, uh, there are people, uh, in fact, who who flaunt their southernism as a way to reject that that viewpoint. I must admit, mm-hmm. as a southerner and a southwesterner, I've I've always resented it. Uh, and in fact, uh, uh, my wife is from the New York City area. I've actually seen it in some of my in-laws. The natural mm-hmm. assumption that the South and Southwest are not nearly as sophisticated. That all gets tied up with fashion. But let me make a point about fashion as an ideological expression of culture and historical heritage. It is the easiest thing to change. It is the easiest thing to consciously adopt and manipulate. I'm talking about the individual. Uh, One day you can dress in plain style and walk down Congress Avenue in Austin and everybody looks, you look like a a typical chic uh, uh, Austin resident. You can also put on a designer French gown and go to an affair at the Waldorf Astoria Hotel in New York City, and, and uh, attend a sophisticated New York City uh, 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 gala gathering, and, uh, and and you fit right in there because education is the key to understanding fashion. If you if you are an educated person, you have the ability to cloak yourself day by day in whatever value structures of fashion you want to in fact, to choose to present to the people you're going to be with that day who you are. Now, down under all those layers, like peeling out the the leaves of an artichoke, there's a central truth there. But there are people who make no intellectual uh, uh, choices about fashion. They wear what they can afford, and they wear what fits their lifestyle. Uh, And and in fact, uh, that's always been true of fashion. Uh, the what we now call plain style fashion a lot of times is what people used to make at home before there was mass merchandising of cheap commercial clothing.
0: Well, that is a wonderful point, and that um, we we hope that is sort of our um, tagline as a as a podcast. It's a, that's our our crusade as as a trio is hopefully mar- marrying education and fashion together. You know, providing some sort of context so people understand that these trends are not simply means of integrating yourself within a cool community or being hip and accepted by your peers. It's also something that reflects the larger trends within society, politically, socially, technologically, all of the things that we wear are heavily informed by all of these social trends. So-
3: Well, in fact, it's, it's even, I think, more significant than that. Anybody who has access to information, history, the internet motion pictures icons of fashion as they exist across all the spectrums of style they can be who they want to be for one day by what they wear <laughs> and, and 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 you are what you wear they used to say you know you are what you eat that's not true you are what you wear <laughs> and if you if you have the ability to choose that you can be whoever you want to be
0: and i mean wow. that's clearly Wow. No, that I, I totally agree with that. I think that's a wonderful message. Absolutely. That that I, I, you know, I, I wish I had said something as, as wise as that that's extremely, uh, good, good observations for our listeners. I think it'll help them be a little bit more conscious about the, the way that they live their lives. Um, okay. So I think that we did cover most of the questions I think, and, and this is, this was turned out, I think, um, extremely successful I'm, I'm super excited to show this interview to my co-hosts um and and i'll I will thank you um for joining us at, on input alumni we it, was, really it was a
3: pleasure it. to be here and uh, uh, I want to compliment you and your colleagues on this podcast as I mentioned I listened to some of them and uh, as a fellow who's now in his senior years and not uh, particularly a fashion statement in my own life i'm happy to see that uh, you and your colleagues have such a good and and, and sophisticated and profound understanding of what fashion is and and the the role it plays in our society so you're very much to be congratulated
0: thank you so much that's so sweet i, I really appreciate that thank you <laughs>
1: Okay, wait, should I continue my thought after that? Yeah, okay. continue
0: your thought, yeah.
1: Yeah, um, there's definitely been a renewed interest in, like, Southern Gothic, weirdcore, Southern imagery, roadside, Christianity, and, you know, the whole Ethel Kane, like, abandoned church thing. But I feel like this is because the standard of living in the South has something to do with, like, a- Americans' relationship to religion in that region. I just read a really good memoir called Bastard Out of Carolina that's set in upstate South Carolina during the 40s and 50s when, like, poor white people were really down astronomically. Like, all the men in her family are belligerent alcoholics. There's rampant sexual and physical abuse. The women are having to work multiple jobs on top of doing domestic labor. Just everyone's life really sucks. And the protagonist hears, like, gospel music on the radio and then just immediately identifies with this desperation for salvation because her life sucks so much that she's like i need to believe that this suffering will end or i'm literally gonna kill myself and so mm-hmm. i think what people don't understand is like the nut job christianity that's associated with the south and like what is the word for that it's not evangelical
2: it's evangelical yeah i yeah. so the most part, people people usually call like evangelical born again so yeah born baptist mm-hmm. yeah that kind of yeah. thing
1: comes from real like socioeconomic living conditions where, like, you actually need God to survive.
2: Mm -hmm. I I really like that. I completely agree with that. Having grown up in literally the exact town that it's about, that that (laughs) book, Master of Carolina, my dad's family is, like, pretty similar to that. Like, they are like, down, bad, like, criminal Southern people back in the day. And then ended up being super religious because, like, yeah, religion really does... I think this—the this, South is like it's so hot. Communities are kind of far away from one another. They're kind of spread out, so you kind of kind of feel isolated in that way as well. And then also, like famously, the South doesn't have a lot of social infrastructure in terms of like governmental support in any way. So you really mm-hmm. have to—you really have to find a spiritual union with God to. It's—it's <laughs> it's just true. Like you really do. No,
1: mm-hmm. um, oh, yeah. It's definitely a crazy making environment. Like the way you were talking about the hostile conditions, like environmentally of Texas, Sam, that mm-hmm. kind of that seems to factor in as well. Like I just think of how satisfying of a release it must be to like go to a church and speak tongues and be like fanning yourself with a fan after like the crazy making. I was also mm-hmm. going to say it seems like there's a similar desperation in Latin Catholicism, at least with like my family, like the obsession with saints and like praying to specific entities uh for specific purposes also has the same vibe um and i think like christianity in the north seems to be more focused on the individual having to prove their worthiness through like being industrious and like being pious and not really like the same kind of fervent relationship with god where you're like really desperate for something and also the kind of like roadside thing that i was talking about where it seems like there's this huge emphasis on like scare tactics and going to hell. Like there's so many billboards that are like, Are you going to heaven or hell? Like call this number. <laughs> I think it has to do within these strenuous living conditions. It really seems like there are two ways. It's like either you become like an alcoholic, you become Christian. But there's definitely like an overlap in those two populations. Um,
0: well I think it's interesting because like a lot of the audience for people like Joel Olstein who's in Houston are recovering addicts or like former addicts you know mm-hmm. um because it's it's kind of like replacing that same kind of weird thing so something is like very aligned there you know um that it, it does seem better to like replace you know a horrible drug addiction with like religion but there is something about the fervor of like, Southern evangelical religion that is very compatible with that. And I actually kind of like advocate for that. I, I do advocate for people if they're going through something as dark as like addiction, like they should maybe go to like a mega church, you know, that's like way better for you. But it is a little bit weird. But I agree with you about how Latin America too. It I always try to explain to people who who don't like know or don't realize like why I'm still Catholic. And I just kind of explain to them like Mexican Catholicism is like basically like a syncretic religion between like indigenous practices and Catholicism. And it, it just is primarily focused on contextualizing suffering, like always. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like really useful. That's like the use of religion. It's not to create this like rigid, positive moral code. It really just contextualizes suffering. But I mean, I do think for some reason, the South is inherently compatible with, with darkness, specifically because I think it's history. I think people don't realize how absolutely horrific it was to live on the American frontier in the 19th century. I mean, there was four wars on top of the American Indian Wars, right? Mm -hmm. Like constantly, um, it was like a very violent, like haggard, desolate place. It was colored by like unspeakable violence and suffering. It was cruel you know there's like scalpers like the land is barren there's like genocide and it's like super callous and it, it just left a lot of dead right and i feel like those dead do haunt the american south yeah and you like know? that's like slavery I really like too there's like yeah, um, I was about to say that.
2: a lot of southern gothic is like really intertwined with recounting slavery and also just like the amount of bloodshed here like you said both through like, mm-hmm. war conflicts then also through enslaved people as well. It's, yes. it's truly and haunting. Yeah, it is haunting. You like
1: Native American genocide happening at the same time. Yeah. yeah, and also something about like the civil war is just inherently so sad because it's just like the South lost, so all of that bloodshed was to take an L, which just <laughs> seems like worse. Yeah, brother against brother. Yeah. A,
0: that, that is a very tragic story. Yeah, and, and the restoration was extremely... Like chaotic, and we just like this has never been an easy place to live. It's definitely way easier now. But well, I think a lot of Americana that deals with the American Southwest is, is really compatible with like morally ambiguous themes, right? Like Lana Del Rey's Americana doing these like morally ambiguous, like feminine, weird, like sabotage and getting into relationships with men who are abusive and kind of romanticizing that. And you know, books like Blood Meridian, I think, is like a really great novel that encapsulates that, like, haunting of the American South. I feel like
2: Um, Lana really doesn't understand the American South. Yeah, she's from New York. I just can't (laughs) see her even being able to LARP, like, bastard out of Carolina. Like, that's just not... I don't know. She
1: has this, like, (laughs) self-made lore, like a Romana Clef in a way, that I think is really interesting. And her albums and, like, personal aesthetic, I feel like she's gone on a tour of the United States. Honeymoon has this weird, like, coastal rockabilly vibe chemtrails is very like country and folk inspired she occasionally will do like a fake chicana accent famously and then there's like her new york city (laughs) hipster era like the brooklyn baby thing and her northeastern boarding school past i think that part is really interesting to me um and also off to the races that like vegas vibe she definitely Uh, does a really good job of containing multitudes i feel like we do live in lana's america in a sense
2: Oh
0: yeah. She's really prolific in her attempts to encapsulate the American spirit. I think she's done it really successfully. Um, Specifically because like, she's like a very complex figure. She doesn't just give you like a very simplistic patriotism. And that's something hopefully I get to talk to my uncle about. The essay I want to talk to him about is um, the creation of Texas myth. And it deals with, I was going to ask him why it's so important for Americans to create myths out of historical figures. And and there's so many, like, American heroes who, like, you know, Hamilton and stuff. Like, we tend to, I I think, we I to, think like, it just
1: has to do with, like, insecurity about us being such, like, a young country, but having to compete with the heritage of Europe, in a sense. Like, we just want to feel valid, so we valorize these figures to emphasize our own history.
2: Yeah
0: that's really smart that's that's very true yeah because we are like the underdog like we always like to think about ourselves as like a lone hero with grand yeah especially when you think of like the aesthetic
1: choices made in like washington dc and like the focus on neoclassical architecture and desire to identify with the foundations of democracy in like ancient greece
2: i wish that everyone (laughs) i wish that everyone in washington dc dressed like grecian that'd be so Uh, cool i would love they they just wear wear, togas apple watches yeah. I'm obsessed. Wait, maybe Focus. this is where I
1: can start talking about patriotism in the sense of ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. I'm like going through this weird era of feeling like I, I miss patriotism and want to get involved in politics in a way. And I feel like this kind of relates to what you said, mm-hmm. Sam, about like why people question your relationship with uh Christianity. I feel like both Christianity and like the state of America have this vibe surrounding them where it's like, okay, obviously, we know that these things are bad and they've been used to justify violence and um, America is like a colonial settler state and the Founding Fathers own slaves. It just seems like so obvious that this should not be something that we like identify with. But I do think that, um, 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 oh yeah, I'm recently reading John F. Kennedy's book Profiles in Courage. Also, I went to the JFK Museum and it just like blew my mind, um, just like looking at his campaign and how vibly he was. And I feel like this time that we're living in, there's like a hatred toward career politicians that's at an all time high. And it really made me realize how desperate I am to kind of like actually support a politician and like them. I think young people these days just have this like vague anti government stance where we have like Tumblr posts memorized about how bad America is. I don't know. I feel like there's a vacuum right now for like someone who's an elegant statesman and very likable to come in and give us hope for our country again. I think that's a
0: really nice sentiment. And I will say like, I'm definitely somebody that's like a a very much a political nihilist because the past few years have exhausted me like emotionally and spiritually so much that I just don't even want anything to do with it. But you are right when you compare it to sort of like, I do think you can contextualize so much of your own experience whenever you choose to believe a myth that you cannot necessarily Mm -hmm. confirm is true myths about like patriotism and stuff these things are necessary you know and it's necessary to live in these like collective stories because that builds like identity and it contextualizes your experience and if you're just constantly debunking everything to its core like that is a very exhausting process but for some reason i think politics has gotten so ugly like everything is just yellow journalism now right like everything is just so I just think if any attempts at being elegant would be totally like on either side of the aisle or whatever, the elegant statesman will be inevitably Definitely. humiliated by the media because that's just like, it, it's like very like low blows, like yeah, on every some, like the digital
2: footprint as well. Like it used to yeah. be like, oh, so someone would have to do actual mm-hmm. investigative journalism to maybe like find a politician at a motel with a prostitute or whatever. But now it's like, you can all there's these digital mm-hmm. footprints that are so... Huge and so easy to access that it really is easy to find dirt on any politician, yeah.
1: right? Oh, I was gonna say, it's not even that, it's just like also cringe. Like, I feel like even when there are young politicians that have these things that they want to change about the US, we're like so suspicious of politicians that even like wanting to be a politician we think is kind of sus. And I kind of get that, like, I've always hated the kids in school that were really into student government and would like move to DC and like had aspirations in that sense because they always have like corny, narc vibes. But yeah. I think now I'm like. <laughs> I'm tired of, like, hating the government. I don't know. Like, it just seems annoying to live in the U.S. in this, like, hopeless state for our country.
0: I very much yeah. agree with that. Well, I just think we're over-informed. Like, I, like, long for days where I didn't know the ins and outs about, like, yeah. our political system. We're not living in a time where you can just have a platform and run on it. Everyone just knows too much about what's going on, you know? We just have way too much information and we we really are like... I think that exhaustion that you mentioned, Sam,
1: I feel like that has to be like almost engineered in a way because it's made so many people my age just like completely tune out. Now it's like it's self-care to Mm -hmm. not read the news.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. You know, I do wonder if politics are even
1: possible anymore
0: or or just desirable. For me personally, like I unfortunately, I, I have to be honest, like I just don't want to engage you know but i really do hope that one day i feel differently and it doesn't feel like a totally exhausted pointless like Sisyphian task to like engage yeah. in any time yeah there's just thought.
1: like a sense of romance in politics that i'm missing i do think that politicians need to like seduce the american people in a way and we need to commit to like not getting the ick for them and writing them off if there's someone who actually that's what i was
2: gonna say I, <laughs> I was thinking like yeah it's like the new generation of politicians their whole thing is being relatable so mm-hmm. it's kind of like aoc mm-hmm. twitter speed like twitch streaming Like <laughs> among us with hassan yeah so far away from like dignified elegant stoic personable what you're talking about Mm -hmm. with
1: jfk yeah if there was someone who had a vested interest in like american history and was a trad seeming person everyone would just write them off as a white nationalist or something i think Mm -hmm. i need to run for president guys Mm -hmm. and i need to start dressing very like jackie i was actually
2: saying it sounds like you're the solution you're the solution i know i I, I think i might be and that's why I'm, (laughs) i'm reading
1: about you know senators who stood up for what they believed in and it's really been inspiring me like uh, yeah maybe this is my corny like student government era but I don't really know where to start
0: well Thank I support you. your political journey if you run for office I will campaign and yeah, I, I just feel like <laughs> Sam
2: could be your political consultant like I feel like Sam <gasps> knows enough about I think political so. systems <laughs> that she would she would know how to get you in there yeah I'm gonna
1: start by maybe running for governor first yeah. Um, and I, I also thought I couldn't be president because I was yeah. born outside the U.S., but I am a natural-born U.S. citizen. Anyway, guys, more to come on my platform, oh, but yeah. just know that I have an optimism for America. <laughs> that is, like, a blind optimism. Yeah, Like, I think things are so laughably bad right now that what can you do but have a little bit of hope that it can get better? I think, yeah, this summer is also seeming like yeah. a total joke. Um we mentioned this in the American Apparel episode, but I do think there's something to subversively turning to Americana in times when it objectively really sucks to live in America, especially when there's a recession. Um, and I think in the Trump era, people were more politically serious and like wanted to stay as far away from Americana as possible to avoid being pegged as a MAGA hat-wearing person. Trumpy. Um, but now it just feels like Joe Biden is our neglectful grandpa and we're throwing a party in his house and inflation <laughs> sucks and gas prices are really high. But I'm feeling a real YOLO vibe coming on and I like want to go water skiing. Yes.
0: I think it is like nationalism does arise, in
1: terms yeah. of crisis. Because it seems like we the people, we're like all in this thing together. <laughs> like there's something about that.
0: No, you you really need to become a politician
1: because you just use
3: we the
0: people. I know. Like it, like yeah. free. it was inspiring to
1: me. I was
2: like genuinely <laughs> inspired. Weird, like, we the people. I know. I just really want to go, go to the lake, but I don't. What <laughs>
1: lake? Oh, you're gonna go to like Central Park.
2: Come to come to
0: Austin. Okay, we to. have a lot yeah, of lakes here. Austin
1: next weekend. Maybe I should go on a national tour. The first leg of my campaign.
0: Oh yeah, you should tell your dad to to buy <gasps> land in, in Texas. and oh my god, South <laughs> that's a really good
1: idea. I'll be your groundskeeper. I, <laughs> lo- I know not be about being like <laughs> a groundskeeper, property manager, and just like quitting my job. Ooh,
0: that that must be so nice. That's like really Victorian vibes. Just let your body in your
2: home decay at the same time. Great Gardens, too. Um. Great Gardens is definitely, Mm. maybe not having like a comeback because it kind of is always, I think it's always a source of inspiration for people. Gay people love that movie. Yeah, I mean, Mm. The Hamptons, Detritus, the downfall of the American dynasties is so fascinating to us people yeah i don't know if it's
0: just me that i'm personally very interested and in, drawn to americana gone wrong or like the oh, yeah, like the kennedy curse americana, or yeah. that it is just like very yeah the kennedy curse and like i mean great gardens is just like you know jackie kennedy's crazy cousins it's just like you know I, I but it does just seem naturally very compatible like something about america and it's like weird complicated history and like how it's like legends never turn out to be so true there's almost like something tragically Mm -hmm. beautiful about it you do need those legends even if they're not entirely true and i think i really like that about our storytelling and like biz was explaining i don't know if we were recording or not but Biz was explaining how even in in the uk people are very into making like roe v wade talking (laughs) points and like posting about roe v wade it's like why do you care you don't live in america but our culture is very very popular across the world and people really love talking about it and so i don't know if it's a good or bad thing but i'm definitely like honored that people think that our culture is so cool that they get to
1: you know they want to talk i don't know about if it it's that time. it's so cool but, i think we just have like um, a unique sense of political spectacle with which people can keep up mm-hmm. I need to start watching msnbc yeah
2: yeah i agree <laughs>
0: i do watch tucker i watch tucker all the time um I mean, I disagree with him on a lot of stuff, but I think he's really funny.
2: He makes a lot of fun. He kind of of has that Um, vibe of, like, he could do politician things. Not that, okay, not really, but, like, that charisma I think Alexi's talking about, kind of. Yeah. But it seems like there are a lot of people that
1: have rage more than charisma. I think I need someone who... Mm -hmm is less, a little bit less rageful, but then people will be like, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. It's a very specific niche that I think is going to be hard
2: to fill. It's very honorable mm-hmm. to channel your rage into charisma. It's a very honorable thing to do.
1: Yeah, it's called grace under pressure. Like, Ooh. obviously, if the president God. was freaking out all the time and being like a huge doomer, we would get nothing done. But he's the one who has to like, I don't know, everyone who's working behind him will be freaked out. Also, I just started watching Scandal, which is so Millennial core. But I'm so obsessed with it. And he's also, making me want to be president. Cause there's a really handsome Republican president in it, who oh, yeah. is like chill though. He's like a f- crypto Democrat. <laughs> he
0: is a crypto Democrat. I forgot about that show. I watched that
1: like I just got to I have too much free time on my hands, but I need to start working on my campaign. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what yeah, else? Burluxky. Oh, I-, I think no, don't vote for me, but vote for Jack Schlossberg, the Kennedy grandson, who's so hot. I think he's actually going to have like a promising political career he paddleboarded around the whole island of Manhattan I oh my
2: god that is like insane the I, like- <laughs> I know
1: it's it's a, an environmental like I don't know issue I think he was trying to say something about like water quality um but it was so oh. it was so hot to me he
2: like shows his skin rashes after doing it his skin's <laughs> yeah he's like, like i'm
1: growing a, a third yeah it's like
2: i got a flesh-eating
0: virus from this yeah.
1: <laughs> but it was just like seeing um. those pictures of him like standing up and paddle boarding in the east river i was just like oh my god you're so dreamy he's also just very handsome i think he will step into his grandfather's footsteps
0: i'm a little worried about that well you could marry him and then get into politics like didn't Arnold Schwarzenegger marry into the Kennedy family and then got into politics? Wait, really? yeah. Maria Shriver yeah. is like Kennedy yeah. related, yeah. right? Oh, cool. Um, so yeah, I feel like um, a pretty easy it. way to get into politics if you weren't groomed for it from a young age is to just marry
1: a Why kid. He's he in went York to Harvard, now. though. He went to Harvard. It's like that thing of like Harvard Harvard to wed, BU to bed. Like they would never marry a girl that didn't go to Harvard.
2: Ooh. I've, no. Never heard that You know, before, it's right. always
0: good to be the exception, not the rule.
1: You yeah. Know? He's going to be the first president to have a Pratt Institute-educated wife. <laughs> <laughs> a
0: degree in fashion?
2: Critical Design? and visual
1: study. Critical in
2: visual <laughs> Yeah, I'd rather be first lady, I'm not going to lie.
1: First
2: yeah, president. They asked, no, what, they you asked president? Like, what your education is. You're like, I think go to college. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, school of life. School of hard knocks. Yeah. Hard also here, another yeah. thing that's a, p- a big part of this for sure for sure for sure is the upcoming elvis movie directed by baz Luhrmann, and oh, it yeah. is so being promoted right now austin butler has been groomed from this like disney channel adjacent d-list actor into someone people have this weird respect for uh in He's trying to method act. Like
1: I know I think people like are actually hating his vibes right now because he won't stop talking in his Elvis voice. That like offends and, me. like me. That actually offends. It's me. so Ugh. annoying. No, actually it's annoying, but
0: I feel like someone has to do this because like I've actually been longing for like those British accents that Madonna would do and like York would do and in interviews like temporarily. It's like so
2: different though. Like a southern accent is so different than impersonating a British person, in my opinion. That's that's true yeah yeah he's because not like it's a confused say, like...
1: expat vibe it's just like he is <laughs> it's always male actors who have that like crazy method acting thing going on but i, I do want to say that it feels like boz lerman has a unique eye for american vibes like his great gatsby <sighs> from 2012 yeah. was very beautifully made and like his vision of americana i'm very interested in i'll definitely go see it definitely. yeah i'm, I mean, I'm it's I'm one of those things that's so easy to be in the doomer stance like Elvis stole music (laughs) from Black people. So I think it's interesting that we're recognizing his contributions or whatever, or his, like, legendary status.
0: Oh, yeah. People are going to start turning to icons like this, and they haven't, as you mentioned on the document,
1: Kim Kardashian wearing Marilyn Monroe's
0: actual dress that she sung, Happy Birthday, Mr. Mm -hmm. President, in at the Met Gala. That, to me, seems almost like people are turning to these pop culture icons because you've been exhausted by, like, the political mix. I agree. Um, I've
2: noticed myself maybe the past three years, I've been really into Marilyn Monroe and also, like, I, I also just loved, like, superhero movies. So it is, like, what mm-hmm. people think of as almost, like, lowbrow culture in a way um, mm-hmm. or very simplified tropes that are very attractive to me. And I think, I don't know if Marilyn Monroe is a symbol of Americana, but she's definitely a symbol of Hollywood, which is American.
1: I think she's
0: the queen of Americana. Like yeah, really when right. I think of America,
1: pin up career yeah. before that's true. Yeah.
0: And if you can find her face in like any gas station like across the United States, that's like so true. that's like a huge yeah. achievement. Like how how has she dominated? That she's like, America is a very special place for creating such an icon off of just a lady. But um that was another thing that people got so upset. With Kim Kardashian because of the dress thing I think she did it really respectfully she lost weight and I think she went under the knife to fit into that dress and that is like dedication yeah, that is that is truly respect if you're willing to like botch yourself <laughs> to fit into that dress so yeah Butler. she
1: has what Austin Butler wants but will never be respected in the same way for
2: us so, so true. true she's
0: also she's method acting yeah, yeah she compared herself literally to method Christian acting her way
2: through life I don't think she should have worn that dress from like a fashion history perspective. I mean, that's really, really bad. But like, we're not gonna get into that because that's old news. But I think you're the one person who's allowed it's...
1: to have that take. Like other people who aren't clothing preservators <laughs> aren't. I,
2: I'm a preservator. Yeah, I'm a clothing yeah. refrigerator. Yeah, no, it actually it's so.
3: <laughs> yeah,
2: you have the a lot of sensitivity this. of garments to light. If you guys have, if anyone's ever went to a fashion exhibition. You might I notice that they're always on, you yeah. can't take photos with flash. The light is super, super, super low. And they can only hmm. usually be on for a certain number of months because textiles are so sensitive to light and like environmental pollutants. So they were wrong for that. But someone, yeah. I was, no, someone was like, I you just know she's covered in like um body butter. No, she, like, she's just covered <laughs> oh, in body Brazilian butter. Brazilian body
0: butter. <laughs> Brazilian bumbo. Yeah, oh, yeah. Right.
2: And the
1: oils in that are like melting the dress. Yes, so. exactly. <sighs> exactly. Um, I love it. I'm anyways. seeing this in my head under like a microscopic point of view. And it's beautiful. Yeah, I yeah. did not know
0: this. I know. It really it's it, it really pays off to have a, a former costume conservator on um, the mod. I wouldn't
2: say that's who I am, but I wish. I also think that's like, <laughs> a precedent, which is bad because I don't think mm-hmm. that celebrities should be able to wear things from museum collections. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, um, I can't imagine the types of like requests that museums are getting now of like, yeah. hey,
2: Dua Lipa wants to wear your like Duolipo dress. <laughs> <your> what's, <laughs> what's wear like the crown jewels or something? Yeah. Oh, I actually have an anecdote related to the
0: Marilyn Monroe historical precedent thing, which is super random. It's I know of several people who've worked at uh, Texas history museums who were being harassed by Phil Collins for so long because Phil Collins believes that he is the reincarnated ghost of. A soldier that died at the Alamo, and he was contacting several Texas history museums so that he could buy an artifact uh, from the Alamo because he said it like belonged to his past self, and so like he like had a right to it. It was trying to like buy it.
2: Sorry, it's like super crazy. That's actually so weird because well, <laughs> i looking British. this up, and he's well known
1: among Texana collectors for spending decades amassing 430 objects relating to the Alamo.
2: Yeah, he's no, British. he's British,
0: but he thinks he's a reincarnated. He's reincarnated from, from the spirit of a guy that died at the Alamo.
2: Sam, wasn't the That's Alamo <laughs> like what happened there? Okay, so just um, briefly, just briefly. Alamo. I think our I think our audience <laughs> will actually enjoy this too because I feel like no, it's yeah, so we need um, to play some kind of like
1: whistling cowboy music behind. Yeah, it, right? yeah. A rattlesnake <laughs> noise.
0: Yeah, we should play Sons of the Pioneers. Um. Well, okay. Basically, uh, Texas was a state where a lot of Mexicans and Americans who did not necessarily enjoy the structure of the Mexican government um, lived and they wanted to separate themselves and create a republic. And they started fighting against the Mexicans. And basically the Alamo was just like this massive slaughter of like Texas soldier. It's like a fort. And so they the Mexican army went to the Alamo and they killed a bunch of people and not just like soldiers, like women and children that were staying at that fort. And they lost, but the battle cry, remember the Alamo, uh, inspired Texas soldiers across the state. And like a few days later, they won at the Battle of San Jacinto. Um, they beat Santana's army, They, who was the general president of Mexico at the time. And yeah, they captured him. They captured the president. Who I don't know what he was doing there. Like, why? Why would you go there to the actual battlefield? But they captured the president and like held him hostage and made him sign a paper that liberated Texas and turned it into its own country, a republic, which it was oh, for okay. uh, many years, and then it integrated into the United States. um Yeah, that's what the Alamo is. Oh, we need a
1: low-security okay. president like that again. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I know. Like, why would you? Like, I always wondered that even as a kid. When I was like, why did he go there? Like just went to the battle like
2: what he's a king he's a king running into battle well he
0: he well there's like a bunch of history of santana he was like originally like a general and he didn't really even want to be president he just like loved war but i still i would not go to battle even even if i loved being in battle
1: yeah that's another thing i I feel like war heroes used to be like good presidents but now if someone who was even a military veteran wanted to be president everyone would be like uh colonizer He's much <laughs> yeah i know yeah, uh, yeah. 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 but never forget so the jfk funny. swam like 2 miles with a dead guy on his back and like wrote Why? On a, he like wrote a message on a coconut to whatever it's a long story I don't
2: know. it's a long story
1: <laughs> <laughs> go look it up Alexi, i don't know see
2: Alexi, you need to become a war hero you would be the i know thing ever. <laughs> oh my god i feel like be-
1: no. becoming an esports <laughs> athlete is kind of like being a war hero in a sense
2: I don't want you Base to do sports? that. I really don't want you to do that. I want you to be a traditional war hero. Yeah. Please. I'll, I'll, I'll be a get p- on it. <laughs> but in like a Katniss way. Like I don't want to,
1: I don't want to shoot a gun.
0: Yeah, you can a ha- bow
2: and arrow.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh yeah. My grandpa was a dentist in World War II. Maybe you could just do that. Save someone's life by taking out oh, yeah. like, really bad tooth. I should become like, a sexy know?
1: Red Cross nurse or something. I think yeah. like that would be very like first lady material.
0: That's like War yeah.
2: Hero, you know, if you save oh, someone's life. Is there anything else you
1: guys want to talk about? That's my favorite time. Wait. I love to talk about My favorite section that Sam wrote is Julia
0: Fox, Jack Donahue, and Walter, oh, and Walter Pierce. <laughs> Pierce.
1: I,
2: we forgot to There's talk about
0: Bush Julia mentioned. Fox. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shade to Walter. He doesn't listen to her, he <laughs> Everybody knows Walter Pierce. He. He's internet it boy. He started our most controversial and derided episode, Nothing Tastes As mm-hmm. Good as Nepotism Feels. We're not apologizing for it, but we understand why you were upset. You know, he spearheaded this revival of the Jack Donahue aesthetic. Um, and I think also Julia Fox and her rise to stardom um, spearheaded kind of a revival of the Jack Donahue aesthetic as well. But Walter kind of did that first. But for those who don't know, Jack Donahue, is a member of the electronic music group Salem. They were like a super transformative, influential electronic band that invented Witch House. They dropped one album and then just disappeared. So this, as the story goes, Jack Donahue and his bandmate John Holland fled to like a town of like 2,000 people in Louisiana with Julia Fox and they fell very deep into heroin addiction. They were working construction. They were going to church, being Catholic and they were just posting
2: haunting images Wait, no. that I pre- think no Julia Fox was dating Jack Donahue's bandmate named John but yeah it doesn't matter I just think that's an interesting it was a weird was I was giving star-spangled banner that's a circle <laughs>
0: <laughs> um yeah no I don't know which one she dated but she was I don't even know if she even dated them she just always says it like I went with my friends to like I just like love my friends and it's just like they don't ever really talk about it but I mean, well, Jack Donahue would post a lot on Instagram, like mm-hmm. basically this like rural Americana aesthetic where he, because he was wearing like construction clothes because he was working construction and would wear a lot of camo, would go to church a lot because he's Irish Catholic. And yeah, Walter Pierce is strikingly similar to him and he did kind of spearhead this like new renewed interest. And I do like to describe Julia Fox and Jack was like the mom and dad of like Walter Pierce who is like their leash baby oh who is a little bit out of control <laughs> and gets us into trouble but we 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 love and respect to him anyways
1: congratulations on yeah. getting married um shout out That's to you facts. for real like, wait this is making me think wait Sam you put something in the doc about how I don't know girls are really into this look now like if you're wearing a real tree hat and have like an out of control beard and have blue collar <laughs> you
2: have to have like a neck beard yeah basically.
1: girls will simp so hard
2: that's, yeah. like,
0: my boyfriend, but he doesn't have an out-of-control beard. He just has, like, he wears a lot of stuff like that. And
2: I find that very, yeah. I, I do I'm going like to
0: bleep that, his
1: yeah. name out, but it's, like,
2: Thomas. Yeah, we should have oh, just Thomas keep that Spencer. in. We should just keep that in. Hi, Thomas. <laughs> oh, Hi, God. Thomas. listen? Oh, <laughs> <I> <laughs> feel like no, no, lo- I'm feeling like, shy all of a sudden.
0: No, he loves us, right? I'm like... Mm. <laughs>
2: Uh, make us some clam chowder <laughs> i think you're from new england i know right so chowder. if i saw someone wearing this look in london i literally think i would choke them yeah it's stealing too much valor dollar. like, it just it's just in east london i wouldn't be able to handle it though there's a similar mm-hmm. thing right now kind of going mm-hmm. on people wearing the union jack which is like what people think of as like the united kingdom flag because it is but like you know so <laughs> it's it's movies, no it's not just right now it's been like going on for a while but it's kind of in more of like a punk way like, oh yeah like, like vivian, vivian westwood, westwood sex pistols i like that um the union jack is honestly such a beautiful flag Like, it's, so I, it's a really good one i went to a mm-hmm. tourist shop today and i was like i was just like seductified by all the i like wanted to buy every union jack thing in there and i was with a british mm person and they were like yeah like i'm not i wouldn't buy any of that and i was like yeah but i'm american
1: so you know how the american flag i'm sure the blue has like some kind of thing to do with the ocean and the red is the blood of like our forefathers but i feel like americana there are certain symbols that are now recalling the american flag like to me obviously the blue part is like denim and blue jeans the red part is like a coke can Mm-hmm. And the white part is it's the lettering cocaine. on the Coke can.
2: Yeah, that's really Jasper for Johnsian to me for some reason, don't you think? Yeah, definitely. Wait, I have to I have to
0: see this. Um, the red symbolizes hardiness and valor, the white symbolizes purity and innocence, and the blue the blue represents vigilance, perseverance. And- yeah. It should resemble a real-life object. Yeah, I know. I guess, <laughs> yeah. We
1: should the red is obviously they? the blood, the blue is the ocean, and the white is the stars. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, yeah, this, the white is literally stars. Yeah, stars. They're stars. they're no, it is. stars. I know. Stars I are also
1: just... very in. This was like one of my more stupid takes, but <laughs> so say, no,
2: that was a me. good take.
1: It's giving "Star Spangled Summer" is all I have. Okay. To yeah.
2: Also, as a wild fox historian, which is a classic kind of West Coast, not classic. What am I talking about? They existed for like ten years, <laughs> but. Like just kind of an nostalgic two thousand tens West Coast kind of sweatshirt graphic tea company. They had these tattered, kind of destroyed sweaters that had stars on them. They had a whole Americana inspired collection with a lot of American flag things. I had an American flag tote bag from them actually. Wild Thank Fox. Uh um, wait, wait, we haven't
1: even talked about Brandy. I'm just not thinking about that.
2: Okay. Brandy is Oh
1: yeah. Like, the most important thing to me about that is that Brandy sells merch of like random towns in America.
0: I've yeah left. i have a shirt from them that says georgetown and everyone asks me
1: if i've been there or went there and i'm like no i've never been there <laughs> yeah um, or like newport rhode island or maybe newport they have a lot of austin ones i get
0: i i would get the austin one because i live here but i feel like it'd be weird to wear it here. i know they
1: sell a lot of new york related stuff and i'm like wait why is this loki just like a tourist gift shop <laughs> i
0: know brandy did fall off kind of but i still like it eh, yeah ish. Uh, do the basics? I guess
2: I feel like don't they have a shirt that just came out with the last year that was like U.S. hardcore punk band, or did it just say like hardcore punk? It just yeah, I think it says yeah. U.S. hardcore punk. Yeah, that was US a little bit too punk.
1: ironic. I was like, you guys are getting a little self-aware. Like, I don't want them to veer into praying territory. Yeah, agree. Yeah, that was agreed. very
0: praying. Um, but ironic text again, and I forgot to mention this, but I do think like I kind of want to coin this Japan Americana. We talked about how Japan loves Americana and kind of some of the reasons behind that. But Daiso is, or it's not a fashion brand, but it's like a shop, it's like a franchise of hundred yen shops, which are basically the Japanese version of the Dollar Tree. It just sells like a bunch of knickknacks, monogrammed with like broken English, inspirational quotes. Um, like I have this bag that reads like, I will always be happy if keep on smiling. Everything is beautiful. And it's from Daizo. Um, and I think Capital does this sort of like ironic text thing that praying does in a lot of their trucker hats but i think they're doing it as like a nod to the absurdity of like japan americana and brands like daizo like they're very self-aware of it i don't know what's going to happen to self-aware text like is that going to continue it just seems a little bit
2: yeah i definitely think it is i mean we've seen these like these the rise of brands that t-shirts say like niche my niche
0: Oh my god, I can't Internet even
2: say micro it. Internet micro-celebrity. Like, ne- mm-hmm. Yeah, I literally, it's, this is like when I <laughs> couldn't figure out how to say physiognomy and I couldn't say it. Ne- you know, and then and then micro everyone was celebrity. messaging us. like, yeah. They said we said it wrong, but actually we said it right because we tried really hard. Because we try really hard for you often. <laughs> um, yeah. It's true.
0: You
2: yeah. guys should see. Okay. Is there anything else? Because we have been recording for a while now. I'm just. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I think I think we've covered a lot of ground. Oh, I have a good question to end this off with oh we okay, didn't even I've do would been... you rather is yeah yeah that's what we're doing now i have a question okay, it's go not ahead. a would you
1: rather but it is a question it goes yes. something like this okay be, be, one's be... gotta go hot dog burger
2: coke oh my god watermelon watermelon goes sorry he's in love yeah yeah yes. i just feel watermelon, like i feel like yeah. we live in a society Maybe this is because I'm from I don't know I feel like people with non-white parents always have the best fruit and that's just true, but oh, I feel that's like true, yeah. yeah that's just like a thing like I feel like watermelon isn't always the most delicious fruit cause sometimes it can be a little bit watery I know you you know yeah, what I you mean have to tell right? immigrant parent to like <laughs> yeah. knock the
1: watermelon and like find yes. a good
2: one yeah tap it oh um, yeah what, I'm gonna find so you would... a good watermelon and
1: change your mind oh,
2: thank you what was I mean you? I, I like, I like, like it. It. it I just. Yeah, I think it's business. Oh, it's mine. Sorry. Yeah, I'm just timing things. Um, What what about you, Alexi? I honestly think
1: burgers.
2: Oh, my God. Okay. That's kind of fair. I, I like I cheeseburgies. Wanna...
1: I, I love cheeseburgers. I'm having a big cheeseburger era, so it pains me to say that. But they're really – I think two years ago, I was upstate, and I was canoeing with my friends. And <laughs> we canoed to this, like, random – Island in the middle of this lake, and we packed like a picnic basket with like half of a watermelon in it. And we were so exhausted from canoeing, and we were all sweaty. And then we just like cracked this watermelon open and just like dug into it. And it was mm-hmm. so delicious and refreshing. And also just the shape of eating like a big slice of it, like it. It's like it also has that a the cob feeling yeah. that you just feel like yes. a cartoon just like munching. Yeah. You, know? yeah, you get to spit
0: the seeds like a like a farmer. Yeah, um, but I do. The th- that's my problem with watermelons, though, is that, like, if it, like they hit so hard, but, like, only in the right context. Yeah. And, like, a hot dog hits any time. Yeah, anytime, hot dogs. Any place, any time, an you know?
2: food, for sure. And I'm happy to we're yeah. open through a phase where people are embracing hot dogs again because for a it while definitely. i think we were definitely kind of in an era where it was like cheeseburgers were a lot more socially acceptable than hot dogs like you wouldn't necessarily like, <laughs> true. um i still feel like hot dogs still have like a little bit of a stigma yeah <laughs> because everyone
1: maybe it's like the it's the leftovers of like water healthy culture being like oh you don't even know what's in that like it's like the refuse <laughs> no. of a meatpacking factory oh also that thing happened recently where like a truck with hot dog filling crash on the side of the highway and there's this really gross picture of like all the pink slugs (laughs) pouring out of the truck. That might not be good PR for our cause, but
2: Okay, yeah. I don't care because that's also the same thing that happened with like chicken nuggets when they were like this. At McDonald's pink slime
1: oh is big. I know made everyone is like nuggets. acting like and that people, was the worst thing ever. I found it very appetizing.
2: People really gobbled down chicken nuggets, so but also I think it's just the fact that hot dogs are called hot dogs. Like it's called a hot dog. Like hot dog. It's so true. Like it's also just, it just so
1: it? it's so disposable. Like once you eat it, it's literally gone. Like there's nothing it's to not... it. It's handheld. It's it's perfect. Yeah, I, I feel
2: so... like I could eat several hot dogs.
1: We should join a hot dog eating competition. Oh my god, that's oh, I would love. Wait, that. also
2: that. I mean, I've been to the hot dog eating competition at Coney Island, and it's really fun. So if anyone's Ooh, looking for something god. fun to this summer, I'm sure they're gonna have it on. Wait, I should. It's do in that. July. I've never been to Coney it's... Island? That's really sad. You have to go. You will oh. love it. I- I've been to Coney Island. Has carnies still, so it's fun. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad that Coke is
1: back. I-, I mean, it never left. Personally, I never stopped drinking Coke, but I feel like. The classic the like, Coke, red Coke, yeah, the Diet mm-hmm. Coke thing. I'm just like, sorry, I can't even pretend to imbibe in that, but there seriously is nothing like a Coke, like a normal Coke. It is,
2: yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it's something that almost feels like it was invented in the same way that, like, we're like, wow, space food is such a marvel or whatever. It's not actually, but when you're a kid, you know, how you think <laughs> space food's really cool. Um, yeah you get those like weird packages. Yeah. It tastes like Horrible. so bad but that's how it feels like coke like coke feels like they reinvented the atom. You know oh that? yeah.
1: This also kind of weirdly yeah. reminds me of like Mexican Christianity. <laughs> <because> <laughs> okay. It literally feels wrong to eat Mexican food without a coke. Like imagine drinking water with oh, like yeah. a burrito or something. Like maybe coke no, is predatory it- towards
2: um, people of color but you know gotta have it I think yeah in mexico they have those warnings that say like this has excess sugar on yeah Coke excess cans. sugar excess
0: calories Whatever. yeah no i mean it's like a talking point with my aunts all the time they're like the diabetes like crisis of the mexican people because we just like love soda and like don't eat any vegetables and just eat only meat and i'm just like just let everybody live like yeah, this is I our culture it. like something happened know. with spam in
1: hawaii
2: i'm kind of having a spam girl summer in a way spam girl summer yeah spam is yeah. an interesting part of like american culture too because spam it was like a mm. wartime what's invention this... though yeah spam is a wartime invention and that's how it came to hawaii i believe mm-hmm. um
1: yeah and throughout like the polynesian zone people love it yeah
0: yeah my dad makes a lot
1: of i don't want to like dox my dad's
0: age or whatever but he he does like kind of he grew up a li- in a little bit like mid-century-esque like food things and he'll make a lot of like his comfort foods oh, and they're really people. delicious like Aww. post-world war ii like fancy little like snacks. you know boomer snack. he boomer yeah yeah. Boomer, yeah. Meatloaf. yeah meatloaf it's good too oh my dad loves makes a mean meatloaf he loves Meatloaf's meatloaf. is really good um yeah i do like is, oh is... another
1: book rec oh, i was gonna say yeah. a recommendation for a book that i have is called the secret history of home economics it has a good chapter oh, about yeah the women who were writing recipes in the 50s because we have this like that. association with like the kooky ass shit that they would make that like always involved jello but it's because they were like sponsored by brands to publish recipes and so yeah some of them are really gross they would like always put lemon jello in like a meatloaf somehow and be like it enriches the flavor but it's a really good. Oh, bite. have you
0: have you seen that trend? What is like trending Chinese recipe or whatever? Where it's like you make
1: ramen
2: with no, Sprite. I would. That, that kind of has that. That's also side. a thing. Yeah.
1: No, my Mexican stepmom makes fried chicken with Coke somehow. I think the oh, use yeah. of like soda and doesn't it
2: like tenderize the food meat? Is, no, that's yeah, how I do it yeah. Yeah. the
1: carbonation, and then it also has like, and A little sweetness. Yeah. it's the same way you can clean a penny with Coke. And coke. no, that's
0: how I make. That's how I make my carne salad. I like cooking in Coca-Cola first,
2: yeah. And there's also um, the, like Coca-Cola cake, which they serve at Cracker Barrel. Additionally, I want to make one last point, which is that I personally, as you guys know, I'm very amusement park-pilled right now. Like, I love going on roller coasters. I love hanging out at the amusement park. <laughs> but I feel like Disney World is about to make a comeback for some reason. And I think it's because we've had such an exposure to Disney adults and hating them that, like, inevitably mm. it always comes back around. It just does, like... I can I can see. It people. sounds like, so for, fun. for example, like how it almost reminds me of like that comedian Harry Hill, who does this thing with American Girl dolls. Oh which yeah. Which American Girl doll adults are not that far away from like a Disney adults. <laughs> I was <laughs> oh, like, no. I mean, like, I I was standing next to a Disney <laughs> adult on the tube of all places the other day, and she was wearing those. Uh, let's see, I know you're gonna know the, the name for these. I I was trying to tell someone I couldn't remember what the name was. <laughs> These like dance tights that make your legs look shiny and like Beyonce wears them. Do you know what those are? Capretto, but they're supposed to look like your they're supposed to look like your skin almost and like look like your yeah. legs are airbrushed. It's like dance tights, like the Rockettes would wear them or something. Uh, Am I thinking of the right brand? This is like a dancewear brand, but I don't know. No, that's because yeah, a dancewear
1: brand. Yeah,
2: yeah they, they- actually in conjunction with um, Claire McCardell introduced the first ballet ballet for, for streetwear. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so would you guys rather chop down a cherry tree and then make cherry pie, or would you rather? Hmm. Never tell a lie. <laughs> no, that's all. That's that's very beautiful <laughs> and poetic. And that this was so. Weird. Okay, I'm well, fine. What would you guys rather do? Chopped on the ter- yeah, cherry tree? I would cheese. definitely rather chopped on the cherry tree. <laughs> I don't
1: know. Wasn't the meme, not the meme, the myth is that he made that it, this dentures out of it? He <laughs> had something to do with dentures, right?
0: Oh, yeah. He had wooden teeth. Yeah. George Washington. Yes, but then I saw on.
1: Yeah, they're um, actually slave teeth. It's like slave another, teeth. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. Another thing yeah. where everyone's
1: yeah, like, "I can't have anything." I
0: know.
2: Yeah, everything with American
1: way. history is so like well, actually, and then you find out that it's just like really dark and like gruesome.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Totally. Just yeah. book a bit ago. It's about how like blackness in America is intertwined with like gothic stuff. I going to I going to read it. So you guys. Like let you guys know how it is because that's an interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. Um, because it definitely is going to touch on like Southern Gothic, I'm sure. So we'll see Mm -hmm. how it goes. Anyone Uh. have a would you rather for the? Oh, would Um, you rather never have Fourth of July ever again, or never be able to eat? I want to say a hot dog again, but I've already said we've already talked about hot dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Um. I'll choose hot dog because I love hot
0: dogs. I
1: do. So you'd rather like, not have Fourth of July. I haven't had a great Fourth of I'm... July in like recent history.
0: Um, I have kind of a boring "would you rather," but um,
2: would you rather save Betsy Ross or Eleanor Roosevelt? I do think Eleanor Roosevelt seems cool, and like she had the type of gumption that we're talking about. But it's also because yeah, she was married to a politician. Yeah. Like, I. What i really it, like, like eleanor wait, roosevelt i so. feel like eleanor roosevelt is like she said um where well-behaved women rarely make history or she's a purported kind of <laughs> did she that. Say that? yeah i'm sure she i'm sure she, she did. did wait oh, why do you a, like her i feel out. like you actually know why like i feel like you have a reason i
0: just like love the new deal like so much like and not even in like a like a oh like oh my god like politics like i love like socialism or whatever I do think the politics were cool about it, but I love their arts commission. I love a New Deal post office. I oh, love yeah. like all the Dorothea photography. Yeah. God, I love like Great Depression or post Great Depression, like
2: New Deal arts. Like, yeah, I, I think like, that they're so I good. We need Valley that. Authority. We need that. Yeah. Need that. yeah. Need Valley Authority. I'm going to send you guys a also- picture of Eleanor Roosevelt on her wedding day because she looks gorgeous. And I always think of her as being kind of frumpy. But like wow she's like one of the people that like is, like is like this in the pinterest board
1: one of the stars of like queer revisionist history right she had like a female bestie that she was
2: I yeah so you guys looking at her wedding mm-hmm. photo i love her dress let me see no but let me see oh my That's god it. it's not <gasps> doesn't she look stunning she's giving oh wow she what just she looks look beautiful like, like she looks like a Gibson girl. Mm-hmm. She was a Gibson girl. She does. Yeah. She She's really Gibson was. Girl.
1: She also had a very lasting impact because mm-hmm. FDR was president
2: for like a bajillion years. Didn't he serve like four terms? Yeah. yeah, she was the longest She was the longest serving or longest lasting. I don't know how to she say was that. She was definitely First lady. Yeah. She served, yeah. That is one thing that she definitely she a, did. Yeah, but if you was president um, for four terms, like we yeah, need imagine to FDR our country liking someone that much. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, and she also apparently did human rights, so. (laughs) Classy, that was so classy of her to do that. Uh, this Honestly, Um, this makes me want to cry, basically. She was the one that persuaded (laughs) Mr. FDR to stay in politics after he was, like, paralyzed.
0: So I feel like that is such
2: a, like, a a wifely thing.
0: Yeah, she's like, the world needs you. She's like the anti-Lady Macbeth. I love that for her. Didn't FDR, was he the
2: one that started the
1: was it the fireside chat thing? He was, like, always yeah, talking on the radio. fireside yeah. chats.
2: Which I think really helped people feel close to the policymakers. Yeah. And apparently, yeah. also, her last fact is that apparently she advocated for expanded roles for women in the workplaces, the civil rights of African-Americans and Asian-Americans, mm. and the rights of World War II refugees. Queen. I feel like first ladies Slay. love human rights. You know? I think it's because, yeah. like,
1: yeah, they, they kind of are supposed to make up for any, like, a sympathetic nature of their of their husband, they mm-hmm. kind of have to be like the socially liberal side of
2: things. Yeah, I said that she would sometimes mm-hmm. kind of disagree with her husband's policies publicly.
1: Yeah, the the oh, relationship yeah. is very gendered. It's like the lady is supposed to be like emotional and like sympathetic, and you know. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I think my, the favorite thing that I've seen a first lady do is, uh, Ladybird Johnson planted like millions and millions of wildflowers in texas like and so now central texas every spring during wildflower season it's beautiful like beautiful driving through here it's like really like a once in a lifetime like experience that you need to witness but i just like love that about ladybird that she just like loved flowers and just like made flowers like her platform you know what i mean?
1: feminine
2: (laughs) i know like i I love that ladybird like how is that her name? I, I think
1: it was a nickname. I she don't had a think- real name, but she like went by Ladybird most
2: of the time. Right? Her name was Claudia. Yeah, I think because she... Claudia. <laughs> yeah. We oh, yeah. definitely need to do like, some sort of episode on like First Lady fashion. That would actually be really fun, just because it's kind of a mm-hmm. sidestep, but there's a lot of interesting Ugh. things to talk about. Anyways... We should literally make this month America themed. Yeah. And just
0: really do a First Lady fashion. Nice oh, stuff. sick. Yeah, that <laughs> <laughs> the
2: next episode's gonna be a singing episode. It's gonna be America's gonna be Got Hamilton Talent. In the next episode. No, it's gonna be Hamilton. Hamilton.
1: <gasps> be Hamilton. I'm like really holding back singing a little line from Hamilton. I'll spare, I'll spare you guys. I do feel like I want to perform um, the national anthem at a baseball game
0: oh i want to do that too it's always been my dream since i was a child i want to throw first pitch
1: oh yeah they always have k-pop idols do that
2: korea they're long it's like always really
1: embarrassing because they're like haven't eaten in days and like their arms aren't working and then they like throw it like one foot
2: yeah (laughs) Yeah, i know and then they like giggle yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah, doesn't turn out well bless anyone have a last (laughs) question anyone anyone all i want to say
1: is as easy as it might be to post some infographics on the 4th of July about our settler state and all the atrocities it's committed, you know, you can post that any day of the year, but let's try to have a little bit of optimism for our republic, question mark? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Let's, let's all say one nice thing about America on the 4th of July. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god
0: I agree we really should this is a really I don't know I love this country as an immigrant yeah, as an immigrant you know, too I'm there's so a reason why
1: <laughs> my mom wanted to come here yeah like I'm so yeah. glad that i And we've here. been shown such southern hospitality upon our welcome and it's, it's I'm so yeah. grateful for all the amazing people I've met and yeah go America be young be dope be proud as Lana says <laughs> that makes me think. I this will be my last anecdote. My mom put me in embroidery classes, which was very like Betsy Ross core, and I don't really know that is she so was Betsy to, Ross. I think she just wanted me to be able to like patch up my clothes. But the, one of the first projects I wanted to make was, and I still have this. It's a handkerchief on which I embroidered "Be young, be dope, be proud." <laughs> and my like 80 year old embroidery teacher was like what that's supposed to mean um but i was very inspired dude that that is that is very so bad yeah that's the new american flag and honestly it should be in the smithsonian
2: Uh uh-huh when you become president it eventually oh my god that's definitely the new jasper johns
1: it's gonna be part of the merch that's on my campaign trail Instead of the tax and rich, sweater, it's
0: just <laughs> oh my god, I forgot about that. I'm very tired of all of the discourse surrounding it. So I, I really do get like war flashbacks. I, I just like my body like physically starts like clamming up whenever I start thinking about politics of the past few years. But yeah. I have hope for the future. Um, Alexi has convinced me Good. Uh, to vote for her. Thank you. Um, but I still don't. I don't know. It's gonna take some healing. I'm going to do some healing. Wait, you're um, like internally. our
2: personal Uncle Sam. <gasps> but you're like you're. <laughs> like, yeah. I know.
0: I'm I'm the anti Uncle Sam. Yeah. I love Uncle Sam.
2: Wait, what
0: is this? What is this song? Uncle Sam song. My green, da, 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 da,
2: da. Uh, uh, You know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I know that one. Like, no, I think I know what you're talking about. It's like a march, right? Or no. Yeah, well, it's nice to Stevens. Everyone, be young, be dope, be proud. Be proud. Yeah. Much and love. Save us as a hot always. dog this Fourth of July. <laughs>